It's a New York state of mind. The Islanders have some gems on defense and on offense with a young goalie leading the charge. The Rangers have a similar game plan, except they have Artemi Panarin on top of that. Sorry, Islanders. And in Canada's capital, the Ottawa Senators still have a team and a boatload of promising young stars determined to bring back the wins and fill the Canadian Tire Center once again. How do their prospect pools stack up? Episode 218 of the Lace em Up podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. Uh, welcome to the show. You usually start the show like this, but I messed up here. So I guess I'll I'll start the show here. Um, yeah, The uh, oh, so the first bit of news before we get going. Um, the first thing is is that the AHL, um, the, the affiliate to the NHL, um, mm-hmm. We've talked about it a bit in the last couple of episodes because, you know, they're prospects and all. Uh, they, uh, they have decided to cancel their season. Um, there's still some hope for the NHL to, you know, start their season sometimes in, sometime in the summer. But for, uh, I guess it does make sense that they're going to start sneezing soon. Oh, no, not sneezing anymore. Um <laughs> Um, so they, uh, yeah, but, um, but it makes sense that they don't, when you don't have to worry about your playoffs, um, or it's not like a major league, um, then yeah, it makes sense to cancel the season. I believe the, uh, NBA version of the minor leagues is also doing the same thing. So, um, yeah. And this is something, Brett, of course, uh, that isn't new. Um, the CHL was the first to go down this yeah. route a couple of months ago. They canceled the rest of their regular season, then later canceled the playoffs, canceled the Memorial Cup. Um, and the fact that the AHL has done this and the NBA says it might not be until June that they tell their players what's going on with their season, you got to wonder at some point the NHL is going to be thinking themselves, okay, how far do we really want to go with this? And is it for the regular season? And if it keeps going at the rate, um, I don't think any season is going to be finished by any league. Right, for sure. Um, also, before we get going to, I didn't really mention this uh, to you off the air, Steve, but... Um, mm. I've been sharing these links to a bunch of my people in my dynasty league. Um, and, um, I guess (laughs) the funnier thing is, is I get, because it is a dynasty league. So they, I guess they get some inside knowledge on what one of their teammates, one of the (laughs) teammates managers thinks of all these different prospects. So I guess they have some insight in that regard, but they're probably also, you know, fascinated by prospects as well. But um, anyways, last week we talked about the Montreal Canadiens, and I did mention something about how their big need was in center. Um, and um, I think we did mention Nick Suzuki, but one of my uh, league mates 
uh, chatted me up and said, like, why didn't you talk about Nick Suzuki when you were talking about centers? Um, and I think we did, but we, we probably just didn't talk about him enough. But, yes, uh, Nick Suzuki uh, should be a top two line center as evidenced by what we um by what he's been able to do this year but uh, yeah <laughs> so and, and i i think that's probably why we didn't talk about him like he's one of the top rookie yeah. leaders like if if we were going down that route and when we were talking about colorado we might as well talk about kale mccarr when we right. talk about vancouver we might as well talk about quinn Hughes, yeah. right like we we know he's part of their present as well as their future and it's only going to get better from there. So I think yeah. that's part of the reason why we didn't talk about Nick Suzuki and why we talked about Jack Hughes. Right, right. I think, but like, I think to his point, he was saying that like when we were talking about guys like Ryan Poiling and uh, Jesperi Kakinemi, mm. um, when we were saying like, oh, they don't have too many centers in their thing, it's like, okay, yeah, we, we probably should have mentioned Nick Suzuki there. Yeah, like, um, they have some yeah. options at center, but do they have a legit number one center that's fully established in the NHL? They don't have that. Well, I will say, though, that Nick Suzuki has the mo highest potential of those yeah. three uh, to be Yeah, the no, he's got, he's got the hype for sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, so anyways, let's go to the New York Islanders. Um because this is our next team here, right, as as Steve's leading. Yeah. Um, this might be a first that I started the show. <laughs> when, <laughs> um, anyways, uh, we're going to start off like we do for every team with their cap-friendly page. Um, we have Matt Martin, uh, Derek Broussard, and uh, Tom Kunackle and Andy Green. Oh, and Thomas Grice are all UFAs. So the biggest one um, in terms of UFAs is Thomas Grice. Um, as for RFAs, the biggest one is Matthew Barzal. Um, and then you have Ryan Pulak, which there he's also probably going to get paid a fair amount. Um, and David, David Taze. Um, I believe that's how you pronounce his name. Devon Taves. Devon Taves. Or, or okay. Devin Taves. Yeah. Devin Taves. Devon I think Taves. it's Devin Taves, actually. Okay. So, usually it's like you don't know how to pronounce that it's, last it's name. Just, it's just, yeah. <laughs> but, but since Jonathan Taves is in the league, I assume it's pronounced the same way. But they're not related, <laughs> I don't think. So, um, So yeah, I guess, in turn, so obviously they're going to need to get money for Bar Matthew Barzal um and Pulak um and Gr Grice as well but um yeah I could actually you know now that I think about it though um I could see Grice maybe being let go considering that they do have Varlamov and they have to find some way to get money so that they can pay Barzal and um and Pulak so maybe that's a route they'll take and uh, something that Grice will probably not be on the team next year. Um, but uh, anyways, uh, that's not a big deal because the next prospect we're going to be talking about is a goalie. Um, where the first goalie is uh, Ilya Sorokin. Um, he has been in the KHL for quite some time now. Um, and I think that was a big reason why he was even... He was drafted in the third round in 2014, 
So it's been a long wait for him, but uh, he is worth the wait uh, just because of how much hype he has. I think of all the goalies that we've been talking about, other than, I guess, maybe Elvis Marzokin's, um, Sorokin, or I guess Shosturkin maybe, because we're going to talk about Shosturkin pretty soon. Um, Sorokin has the highest profile and has been good for like five years in the KHL, um, which is very impressive. So we're going to start off with um, in 2015 to 2016 season, he had a 9.53 save percentage and a 106 GAA in 28 games. Um, for Siska Moskva. Um, then in 2016 to 2017, he had a 929 save percentage and a 161 GAA in 30, uh, 39 games. So it's kind of saying that he's really consistent. Um, and then he continues to be consistent uh, with a 931 save percentage and a 1.59 GAA in. 37 games, um, and then in 2018-2019, he has a 940 save percentage and a 1.16 GAA in 40 games, and then this past year in 40 games, he had 1.5 uh, GAA and a, and a save percentage of 935 save percentage. So, um, so yeah, he he always has had a, a like a sub two GAA. Always been in the ones in the GAA for KHL for the KHL, which is um, pretty impressive, would you say? Um, and um, and he's and he's had a high save percentage as well for the last four five seasons um, in the KHL. So um, yeah, he has twenty. He's twenty four years of age. Um, odds are is he's going to be pretty good um, in the NHL. Obviously, he may not get be like a sub two GAA and a, you know, a 950 plus save percentage guy, but you know, um, odds are it'll probably be like a Carter Hart or Vasilevsky type player. Um, if all his cards are right. Uh, but yeah, it's, you know, looking at these stats, I didn't realize they were that good. Um, yeah, he's going to be, pre he should be pretty good for the Islanders. Um, uh, I would imagine he's coming next year even. Yeah, I, I think the rhetoric that I've been hearing is that um, he will sign with the Islanders before this year. Yeah, obviously hasn't done it yet, but um, with the KHL playoffs, um, probably not going to carry on and um, the AHL making their decision today, I would imagine uh, it's going to be sooner rather than later that he'll eventually turn pro yep. with the Islanders. And he's 24 years old, so the fact that he's been an elite goaltender in a men's league at just 24 years old, you know, maybe only like a 10 to 20 game stint in the AHL to like build up the confidence, you know, if he's having a rough go of things to start off, he's probably going to be given every chance to make the team right off the bat. In his, in his first training camp. So it'll be interesting to see how he fares. Um, what I was looking at before looking at his elite numbers, which of course, it's hard not to look at those. Like they're pretty spectacular. Um, his 
at first 32 games in the KHL. So this was 2012-2013, and then 2013-14, his draft year. Here are his stats in his draft year. 27 games, 5-12-0 record, but his GAA was respectable 2.9, and his save percentage was respectable 9-11, when you consider he was facing an average of 27 shots per game. Here's the thing about the KHL. European ice, so the ice is big. And what I noticed about his elite numbers in his career when you go later into his KHL career when he's absolutely elite, he's dominant, he's destroying everybody and stopping the puck at will. His average shots per game is maybe like 21, 22, 23 at most, but he was averaging 27 shots per game and basically his first meaningful KHL season, and he still posted a 9-11 save percentage, which isn't too bad. And then he gets um, traded to CSK Moscow in uh, 2014-15, so this was before the trade. So he wasn't on a team as good as the one he is currently on. So I think the team around him kind of helped um, bolster those stats. Um, in any event, 2015-16, like you mentioned, Brett, he posted though that ridiculous GA and state percentage. He also went 17-7-4 and four in those 28 games, and he had 10 shutouts. So when 10 of your 17 wins are shutouts, that's why you get a 1.06 GAA. In the playoffs, um, he goes 15-5-0 and 0 with a 9.45 save percentage, three shutouts there. Um, this is also the first of five straight All-Star selections, so he was a regular KHL All-Star. 2016-17, uh, he goes 25-7-6 with five shutouts. Um, in seven playoff games, faces an average of 25.4 shots per game. Uh, doesn't go nearly as far, but still goes 5 2 0. His GA is slightly over 3 there. Um, 25 8 and 4 in 2017 18 with another 8 shutouts. In 18 playoff games, he goes 10 and 6 with 5 shutouts. So, again, another strong outing in the playoffs there. In 2018 19, he wins the Gagarin Cup champion. Um, in his first real playoff run, he Unfortunately, his team uh, didn't come out on top, uh, but he went 16-4 and in 20 playoff games in 2018-19 with a 1.19 GAA and five shutouts. In the regular season, he goes 28-6-4 and in 40 games with a 9.40 save percentage and 11 shutouts. Uh, this year, 26-10-3 uh, record uh, with nine shutouts in 40 games. And before the playoffs were stopped, he had a 0.73 GAA, a 9.66 A percentage, and a spotless 4-0 record in four games, two of those wins being shutouts. So in the grand scheme of things, this guy has been a top five goalie in KHL C percentage, GAA, and shutouts for pretty much every regular season he's played. And in the playoffs, he's had some very good showings as well. Uh, in particular, shutouts. Like in the regular season, in every five to six games he played, he got a shutout. In every roughly four games he played in the playoffs, he got a shutout. So this guy wasn't just getting wins. He was shutting people down completely. 
and the hardware speaks for it. His international resume speaks for it, too. They really think this guy can be the future in net. And I think, although I still don't agree with them re-signing Rob, uh, choosing um, to sign Barlamov instead of re-signing Robin Leonard, while I still don't agree with that, it makes sense why they probably chose not to give Leonard a long-term deal because they knew this guy was coming into the picture in a couple of years and they feel confident he can be the guy. Right. Yeah, and also the other factors to think about is the fact that uh, Mitch Korn is now going to be the goalie coach yeah. um, as long as Barry Trotz is the head coach. So, like, and, you know, Mitch Korn is known as the goalie whisperer. So um, it doesn't, like, it doesn't seem like they, like, this guy doesn't even need much training. But in case he does, you know, you have Sorokin there um, to, like, you have this great goalie whisperer guy um, mm-hmm. to help him out uh, transition into the NHL. Um, not to mention, I believe Varlamov is also Russian too, or yeah. um, from another country. Is he Russian? Yeah, he's Russian. Yeah, he's Russian, yeah. Um, I wasn't sure if he was Russian <laughs> or some other country. But, um, yeah, so so that's another fact just, just from being uh, on the Islanders team where he'll get um, special treatment from that regard where developmentally it's probably the best place you can go. Yeah, and and like there are a lot of guys um, in the Islanders system, um, some that have even had more experience at the North American level of hockey than Sorokin, but Sorokin is still miles ahead of them. You look at Linus Soderstrom, pretty right. decent. Jakob Skerek, pretty decent. But both of them don't nearly have the dominant numbers that he's posted. Right. Uh, Christopher Gibson has been in the AHL for a few years, and he's done well. But nearing 27 years of age, he still hasn't made an impact at the NHL level. So they obviously feel that Sorokin has what it takes. Yeah, for sure. Um, so now we go off to Oliver Wallstrom. He was the... Uh, um, he was the 11th overall pick in 2018. Um, if you remember, this was around the time when Jonathan Tavares was likely going to leave the island. Um, so they had like two picks. Uh, the other guy is Noah Dobson, who we're about to talk about. But um, this was like sort of a, I think this was before John Tavares actually left. But this was like sort of like a piece where it's like, hey, we have, we have some good young players here. Uh, please stay, John Tavares, and uh, didn't do enough to, for him to stay, but um, they still have a pretty good uh, player at that. Um, however, uh, so he played it uh, at the U.S. Uh, national team where he had, uh, I think it's uh, 94 points in 62 games. Uh, for the U.S. national team, and then he played in that World Juniors uh, for the under-18, where he had nine points in seven games. So that was before he was drafted. Uh, then he goes to uh, Boston College uh, for a bit, and it's kind of an underwhelming season uh, for him, uh, where he had 19 points in 36 games, um, and he had eight goals and 11 assists. Um, and then he played for the World Juniors that year. Also a little bit underwhelming too, 
where he had four points in seven games. Um, and he also played a bit for Bridgeport Sound Tigers uh, late last year, where he had three points in five games. Um, and he did well in the playoffs, though, uh, where he had four points in five games. So maybe it was just a showing of like just deployment and uh, coaches and stuff. Uh, that was a difference. So he kind of finished off strong um, in Bridge, Bridgeport, to his credit. Um, he also started uh, the season in New York, uh, where he played nine games, but he only ha- averaged 10 minutes on ice. He didn't score at all, but he did shoot a bunch, or not a bunch, he had, <laughs> sorry, he had nine shots um, on goal and uh, in, in those nine games. So uh, that's, I mean, it's tough to say when you only have 10 minutes of ice in New York, but uh, at least nine shots is something, I guess. Um, and then he goes to Bridgeport, uh, a little bit underwhelming too for the long run, uh, where he had 22 points in 45 games there. Uh, that I just looked this up, and I think he's the sixth highest scorer uh, on the Bridgeport team. Uh, two of them we're about to talk about as well. But um, so so that it's like it's pretty good, but it's not great either, um, which is what I imagine is what we'll see out of him in the NHL. Like he'll be decent, um, and he'll probably help. Um, Matthew Barzal on the top line, um, considering the wingers that the New York Islanders have is pretty much just Anders Lee and Josh Bailey, um, and maybe Jordan Eberle as well. But um, so maybe he'll he'll be a right winger for Barzal or for uh, the newly acquired uh, John Gabriel Bajo. So. Um, that could work out and we could see if they have chemistry with either of those two centers. Um, but, um, at the moment, I think it makes sense to just keep him in the AHL, even for another year, just to see how he does. Um, again, it's not like he's been terrible, but, um, probably not as good as what we were expecting him to be when they drafted him. Yeah, there are a couple of asterisks to keep in mind, especially considering he was not only a first-round pick, but 11th overall, like just outside the top 10. So they obviously valued this guy quite a bit. Um, But I think people are kind of been disappointed because of what he's being hyped as. He's been hyped as the sensational scoring threat that preys on weak play, just an absolute fierce competitor, a guy that exploits gaps in the neutral zone. Um, And, you know, maybe could be more proactive defensively, but offensively described as uncontainable according to elite prospects um, and has attributes like size, skating, skill, and smarts that coaches are looking for. Um, Just a natural goal scorer. And I think that's why when people look at the numbers, they're just thinking he should be doing better than this probably should be. Um, and I, the fact that he went to Shattuck St. Mary's, which is where Sidney Crosby went to, which is where Nathan McKinnon went to before they went to the major junior level. You were thinking, okay, you know, this guy's obviously good. Right. Sometimes it just takes a bit of time for the results, um, 
to, to come your way. And you got to remember with Boston College in 2018-19, they weren't winning a lot of games. Right. Um, yeah, you could you could say that Oliver wasn't doing well, but the team as a whole wasn't doing well. Um, there was a stretch um, where he went 14 straight games without a goal before scoring his eighth of the year in the regular season finale. And in that stretch, the Eagles lost eight of 14 games. Um, that being said, there were some losing efforts where he particularly shined. For example, his second NCAA game. They lost to the Wisconsin Badgers 7-5, to the Boston College Eagles did. Wallstrom scored once, and he got 10 shots in that game. That was his second NCAA game. Um, February 22, 2019, 2-1 loss to Maine, but still gets eight shots on goal. Um, March 2, 2019, losing 4-2 to Northeastern. Wallstrom gets an assist, finishes the game with seven shots on goal. In 10 of his 36 games, he posted five or more shots. So that's that's a pretty decent percentage for an NCAA rookie. Um, in the AHL, he has 12 goals in his first 50 games, 25 points in 50 games. So that's a 0.5 points per game average. That's pretty decent, averaging three shots per game in the process as well. And then you look at his stats with the Islanders, and you've got to remember who's their coach and how defensively structured they are. You look at how much of a monster year that Jordan Eberle had and Josh Bailey had and Rock Nelson had and Anders Lee had. I'm sure I'm forgetting uh, someone else um, in John Tavares' final year. They were an offensively explosive team, but they always forgot about defense and it cost them a playoff spot. And then they went to Barry Trotz. They didn't score as much. But the wins came together. They got into the second round against uh, the Carolina Hurricanes. To go from an offense first team that doesn't make the playoffs to a defense first team that makes the playoffs and wins a playoff series, defense is going to be preached constantly by Barry Trotz. So it's going to be a matter of getting used to that defensive style of game and still finding a way to get results. Like even Matt Barzell, he's a dynamic player. But his numbers this year and the year before that, not nearly as explosive as his stats during Tavares' final season when he got like 80-something points. Like, you're you're not even getting those kind of numbers from Matt Barzell. Um, You also look at who Wallstrom played with in those nine games. He played a bit with Andrews Lee and Matt Barzell, uh, two of the best guys on the Islanders. He also spent time with Derek Broussard and Josh Bailey. And then below that, Cole Bardreau and Ross Johnson. So whenever the time on ice goes up, we'll see what happens there. Um, I think there's also a lot of people looking at Kiefer Kiefer Bellows and what he could become as a left winger. And he displayed the better junior numbers Um, in the playoffs. Uh, with the Portland Winterhawks in uh, 20, 2018, he posted an average of 4.5 shots per game. He had 13 points in 12 games. In that regular season, he had 41 goals in 56 games, got over 274 shots there. Um, that's almost five shots per game. And he has the electrifying stats that Oliver Waltram didn't display. But you never know how Oliver Wallstrom could have done if he was in Bell's shoes as well in that kind of sure. scenario. So, um, 
We're about to talk I'm, about that. I'm, I'm kind of interested to see um, what happens with Wallstrom and um, how he's able to make the most of his opportunity. Um, the other thing I will say is that in terms of prospect competition, the big name in his way is Simon Holmstrom, who we'll talk about later. Yeah. Um, but Wallstrom right. is heavier, an inch taller, and the competition beyond that is not that great in the prospect pool. Josh Hosang probably has kissed his final opportunity goodbye. Yeah. Um, his biggest competition on the roster is Jordan Everly and Josh Bailey. So. Yeah. At some point down the road, he could be he could have a top six spot on this team one day. I was just looking at the uh, Islanders' stats here uh, from this year. Um, I didn't realize yeah. that Jordan Everly had forty points in fifty eight games, um, so that's pretty good. Um, and Brock Nelson um, has fifty four points in sixty eight games, so uh, that's probably. Um, that's also pretty good too, and we did. I didn't even mention Anthony Beauvillier, who I think you did mention, but uh, that's another guy too. Um, so, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, you also bring up a good point in that the Islanders aren't known for their offense, um, just and that's mostly just because of what Barry Trotz is able to do, um, and he always brings like a defensive-minded thing to any team that he plays uh, that he. Uh, he plays for. I mean, I guess when he when he was coaching the Capitals, Alex Ovechkin was always on top of everything. But of course, that's Alex Ovechkin. Um, so, um, but uh, yeah, I think that's just an exception. But you're for the most part, Barry Trotz does bring this very defensive-minded game uh, to all his teams. Um, and so, I think in particular for the Islanders, it is what makes them better. But just it, like, you know, when you look at the stat sheets, you're like, really? He has, you know, this guy should be doing a lot better than what we think he should be doing. Um, I mean, you could take a look at Matthew Barzal, where like rookie year, he was on fire. Um, and then the last couple of years, it doesn't look as good, even though he's been their best player. Mm-hmm. You watch them play. So that, that yeah, does bring like, a good point. It's 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 one of those it's one of those strategies where you don't mind the offense, but you don't want the offense getting in the way of defense. Right. And Trotz has been able to get results with that mindset and get the most out of his players. And that's the other thing too. In Nashville, he didn't have as much to work with compared to Washington. And right. the Islanders are probably like in the middle of that, where they're not where they're not nearly as like offense deprived as Nashville, but they're not the caliber of the Washington Capitals, yeah. obviously. Um, and, and Trotz, in each and every single one of the teams that he's coached, he's been able to get the most out of his guys. Right, for sure. Uh, let's go to uh, Noah Dobson here, which is our next guy we're going to talk about. I thought... <laughs> never mind. Um, let's go with Noah Dobson here. Uh, he, uh, It's kind of an interesting thing here. I, I thought he was playing... Uh, for some reason, I thought he was playing in Bridgeport this year, but turns out he played all his uh, all his games in New York this season. Uh, they didn't even bring him down to Bridgeport uh, to condition him, but um, he was a 12th overall pick in 2018, so he went right after Oliver Wallstrom. 
Um, and uh, I believe, I remember at the time you, you really liked this pick because yeah. he, um, in the 2017-2018 I, Memorial Cup, I believe, he, uh, he was like the best player. He was awarded the MVP. He had 13 points in 20 games, according to Elite Prospects, but I'm not sure if that means the QMJHL and the Memorial Cup combined, but I, I do remember you telling me that he led the team. He, he, won, he didn't win Memorial Cup MVP. He didn't win that, but he won playoff MVP in the Q. Okay. But, so um, in the QMJHL final, got it. he was named MVP, but the Memorial Cup MVP he's never won that. Got it. But uh, anyways, he had 13 points in 20 games uh, there, um, and that season... Um, in particular, he had 69 points in uh, 67 games. Uh, the next year, he played f- uh, played for two teams here. Uh, he uh, he was the captain of the Akati Bathurst Tetons. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, I would Teton, yeah. The American in me would pronounce it Titan, but I think, remember, you've corrected me in that before. <laughs> so... Um, and, and he was traded from the Akati Bathurst team to the uh, another hyphened uh, first name in Ruin Nuranda Huskies. Um, also hard to pronounce. Uh, they, uh, and he had uh, 56 points in 52 games. I did the math already, so I didn't get tripped up there. Um, and he also played for the World Juniors that year for Team Canada where he had one goal in five games. Um, I would have to look at the time on ice for that um, to see how that happens, if that was impressive or disappointing or not. But um, anyways, he goes to New York straight away. He doesn't even go to Bridgeport. Um, And he plays 34 games. Um, He has seven points, uh, one goal and six assists. Uh, which isn't too bad considering the fact that he had 13 minutes on ice, which shows to me I think he was just a bottom pairing defenseman. Um, I think we've talked about mm-hmm. this a bunch um, in the years. Like, do you even bother? Br- why even bother bringing up this top prospect um, in the NHL if you're only going to give him low minutes to start? Um, but I think so. From one frame of mind, it makes sense just to get him used to everything but the other end it's like yeah. if you're only giving him 13 minutes of ice or lo- a low amount of ice time you might as well just bring him down to the AHL so that he can spend more time on ice and actually improve instead of uh, not you know just bringing him up just so that he has some experience it doesn't make sense to me just just send him down and have some, like, I don't know, some, another defenseman that can take his place. Um, just, like, he, he's too good to be on the third pair, even in a developmental stage. Yeah, and I do agree with that. Um, there are <clears throat> a couple of circumstances that might play into that. And in the example of Eric Carlson, um, I know, being, me being the Eric Carlson fanboy, I, of course, mentioned Eric Carlson. Right. But when he was entering the NHL, the rhetoric was he didn't want to be in the AHL for that long. He wanted to play pro, and he wanted to play now. He just wanted to play. He wanted to play in the biggest league ever. And you look at his 
first season, 25 points in 60 games, not elite numbers, but then he got 40-plus points the year after, and then he went to elite Eric Carlson mode, and that became a consistent theme every single year after that. Um, I don't think that's the same case with Noah Dobson. I think it's a case where you think, okay, yeah, if we put him in the NHL, he's probably going to light it up. That would look good for his confidence, but he's not going to be learning the NHL systems. He's not going to be getting used to things. So I think you're right, Brett, in the sense where even if he's in like a bottom pair role, just get him used to everything. When he gets his chances, we're confident he's going to make the most of it. And I think that's probably why um, the stats don't look good and why he's not getting the kind of minutes that he did uh, at the junior level. And in the junior level, the thing they don't take into account is time on ice. So I'm sure if they did display that on their pages, you could like really see how good this guy was. But even still, um, the 2017-18 season with the Caddy Bathurst, he was just absolutely insanely elite. Like he was 24th in league scoring overall. Um he was fourth overall in shots on goal, forwards and defensemen combined, and he led all defensemen in shots on goal. Um, he ranked fourth amongst defensemen in assists. He was eighth in the league as well. Uh, third in goals and first in power play goals by defensemen. And the only blue liner with more points than Dobson in overall points was his teammate Olivier Gallipo. Um, so um, he had another elite defenseman to play with. Then you get to the playoffs where, again, he does well. And then the Memorial Cup, he's uh, their best player. Um, he posted five points or seven points in four games, excuse me. Um, throughout all of this, he would average like three to four shots per game, which for a defenseman is very, very good. And uh, he wins Memorial Cup there. He then goes to Ruin Naranda midseason, as you mentioned, in 2018-19. Um, continues to do well. Uh, continues to average close to four shots per game. And then he goes to the playoffs, gets 29 points in 20 games during another significant playoff run, and doesn't post nearly as good numbers in the Memorial Cup uh, in 2019. He had three points in five games there. But I believe it was the final game, the final game of the 2019 Memorial Cup, I think he played in, I'm trying to remember, it was an article in Sportsnet. It was either half a period or half the game. Yeah. Either way, it was insane. Like, he was logging a ton of minutes, and he's one of probably a very short list of players at the major junior level to win the Memorial Cup in back-to-back years. He was a back-to-back Memorial Cup champion. So the fact that this guy has won also kind of, boost his credential, um, and the Islanders were certainly willing uh, to take their chance um, on Dobson. Uh, he's currently a third-pairing guy with uh, Andy Green. Um, in a full 82-game season, he would be averaging two goals, 14 assists, and 89 shots. That's not bad. Also, 60 hits and 75 blocks for a first-year player. That's pretty decent. Um you take a look at uh, his defense pairings uh, in quarter one. It varied between Devin Tays, Johnny Boychuk, and Nick Letty. Uh, those guys are probably the top four defensive scorers on the Islanders this year. In quarter two, 
His average ice time went down uh, to 12.08. He was pointless over eight games with just four shots. Saw more of Pelican Mayfield during this stretch, but still played a bit with Johnny Boychuk. Um, Quarter three um, brings his first NHL goal and a pair of helpers in a 16-game stretch. Picks up 22 shots. Um, 115 per game on the extra man, so he was getting some decent power play time. Um, boy, Chuck Mayfield and Taves were his top three partners. Then, uh, but then in quarter four, he averages 12-10 per game, still gets two assists in four games. Uh, Taves and Mayfield, you saw more of them, and like I said recently, a third pairing guy with Andy Green, uh, who they got uh, from the Devils at the trade deadline. Um, aside of Bode Wild, there isn't much competition. So you take a look at the Islanders' um, current roster in terms of pure right-handed shots. Um, there, there, there are some there are some holes there. Um, Brian Pulak, Mike, you has shown potential in previous years. He could stay in the mix, um, but outside of that. Dobson and Wild could someday both be um, on the first pairing or the second pairing. And depending on how both play their cards, Dobson could be a future first pairing defender for the Islanders. It's a matter of when, not if that happens. Right. And even though Bode Wild had a very solid season in the OHL in 2018-19 in his own right, he had 70 points that year. He was sent back to the OHL. He played 20 games in Bridgeport, only had two assists. That was it. So um, I think Dobson is going to make the NHL sooner. He's going to hit his stride faster than Bo Wild is, and he is going to be a future all-star defenseman. Right, yeah, I think that is a good point. I mean, in terms of defense for the Islanders, and I was about to make this point, that you have Brian Pulak, uh, Nick Letty has shown some <laughs> some stuff at the same time, or like like shown what he's can do. Uh, mm-hmm. Johnny Boychuk um, is a different type of player, and he's also like thirty six years old. Um, but yeah, so like nearing yeah. the end of their prime, basically. Yeah, and Nick Letty is a left handed defenseman, um, whereas Dobson is a right handed defenseman. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's also something to think about. Uh, but, yeah, so I, I agree with you. I think Noah Dobson will be a good player in the league. It's just when are they going to make room for him um, on the defensive side. Um, it's a lot tougher, I feel like, to uh, to make it as a forward for the Islanders than the uh, as a defense uh, in, as prospects go, just because I think – the they're str- the Islanders are stronger on defense than they are on forwards, um, so uh, maybe um, so it'll be tougher for No Dobson, but that doesn't mean that he's he's not going to pan out. Um, he's also quite the comp- competitor as well, Brett, yeah. because um, in his days in the QMJHL, particularly with Halifax. Um, and I didn't think Maritimers were capable of doing this because they're usually a nice group of people. He got booed relentlessly whenever he went to Halifax. Um, Akedi Bathurst is, I believe, in New Brunswick. Um, so another part of the Maritimes. And 
Uh, Dobson would frequently visit Halifax, and then um, he got traded to Ruin Naranda, who faced Halifax in the finals. They beat the Mooseheads in the finals, so he was already public enemy number one when the Memorial Cup started in Halifax last year. And then on top of that, they they both teams meet again in the Memorial Cup finals, and Ruin Naranda wins again. Right. And throughout the whole game, Dobson was being booed relentlessly and didn't care. Yeah. He loves to embrace those kind of moments. For sure. Um, so the next guy we have on our list is Simon Holmstrom. Although now that I'm I'm looking at the Bridgeport Sound Tigers uh, stats, I realize that I probably should have gone with Kiefer Bellows. So we're going to talk about both of them, if that's all right with you, Steve. Um, you, talked, you mentioned him that's a bit. Good. Uh, for when we were talking about Wallstrom. But we'll start off with Holmstrom. I feel like he's an interesting player, considering the fact that uh, he was drafted 23rd overall in the first round, and there, it was kind of a shock to everyone because he, um, you know, because there was a lot of other players on the board. I remember specifically we were wondering why Raphael Lavoie and... Uh, Arthur Kaliev weren't on this list, um, weren't being taken yet. But um, yeah, so the Islanders went with Simon Holmstrom where he wasn't on a lot of people's list um, or in the 20s and a lot of people's list. So this is a bit of a reach for them, which is what I feel like is a uh, kind of, um, um, you know, uh, a reach in that sense. But uh, when you look at his numbers, uh, they were pretty good um, in the SHL. He, he had only played one game, but, um, but in the Super League, which I guess is the uh, league under the SHL, he had 20 points in 21 games, um, and he had three points in three games um, in the playoffs. Um, and, so that just, and that was the under 20s uh, when he's an 18-year-old. So it shows that he could be pretty good. I was reading also these scouting reports that said that he's an offensively skilled player who competes hard. Holmstrom is a good skater and stands out with really good hands and impressive puck handling. Quite shifty and a player that can do the unexpected offensively, has a good wrist and his two-way game is underrated. Uh, so he's a, bit, um, he's a bit of both, like good offensively and good defensively, which is what the Islanders are looking for, which is what we yep. were talking about with for Wallstrom. So that's good. Um, this year, uh, he played for all his games at Bridgeport, um, where he had 15 points in 46 games. Um, eight of those were goals. And so that's, that's decent. Um, and I'm not really sure how the line stacked up or how much time on ice he had there. But the reason why I bring up Kiefer Bellows is, is that he was the leading scorer on the Bridgeport Sound Tigers and yep. um, had 31 points in 52 games. He had 22 goals, in fact, which is pretty impressive um, in 52 games because that's about around like 40% goal goals per game, um, which is pretty good. Um, and also, if you remember, he played for the Portland Winter Hawks the year before that, or two years before that, excuse me. Um, he had 74 points in 56 games. And then the year before that, he played for BU 
So he's had a mix of the NCAA and the CHL. Um, and, and, and in BU, he didn't play as well as we all thought he was going to be, where he had 14 points in 34 games. Um, so he played better for the Portland Winterhawks than the uh, BU Terriers. Um, and, then, and then he goes to Bridgeport the next year, where he has 19 points in 73 games. So then you're like, okay, what's going on with this guy? Um, and then the next year, uh, he gets, you know, so that's this year, um, where he has 31 points in 52 games, 22 goals. And then he goes up to the New York Islanders, um, and he has three points in eight games, which is pretty good, uh, considering the fact that he didn't have a ton of ice time, I don't believe. Um, yeah, he had, um, sorry, he had 10 minutes of average ice time in those mm. eight games. So um, so I think Kiefer Bellows is a bit of a late bloomer. And I think the same can be said for Simon Holmstrom, where he has potential. Um, and I would like to see Holmstrom play more um, in Bridgeport just to get him used to the North American ice. Um, and I think we will probably eventually see Kiefer Bellows maybe as soon as next season um, in the NHL. But I think, I remember reading a report because I, I recently got him in a trade in my Dynasty League, Kiefer Bellows, um, and I remember reading that Barry Trotz was going to, um, he would put him in if the Islanders weren't competing for a wild card spot. So I imagine we'll see him. That's a good sign that we'll see him next year um, because it will be a new slate and clean slate for, for everyone. Yeah, just taking a look at uh, Bellows while we're talking about him. Um, in his B, in his, in his, uh, in his college uh, days with uh, Boston University, or, or Boston, I think it's Boston College? University. Or was it Boston University? It was Boston University, okay. So yeah. that would be the Terriers. Uh, not the Eagles. Um, right. 14 points in 34 games, you mentioned. Um, his shooting percentage that year was 8.2, averaging 2.5 shots per game. Discipline was a big, big problem for him early on. Um, he was penalized in his first eight NCAA games and in 14 of his first 15. But then in 16 of his final 19, he was squeaky clean, didn't get a penalty. So... I think the big thing for Bellows is to play his game, but also stay out of the penalty box. Because the more time you're in the box, the less time you're on the ice doing your thing. Um, so I think that was a bit of a work in progress there. Um, after that, he went to WHL Portland, where, as I mentioned before, he had 41 goals. Um, he was averaging 4.89 shots per game there. A shooting percentage was over, 50, uh, over 15%. Uh, if it was 50%, that would be insane. Right. Um, in Bridgeport, his shooting percentage was 8.5 his first year. This year, two fewer shots, um, obviously in 21 fewer games. Um, but his shooting percentage went from 8.5 up to 15.8. So it jumped 7.3 percentage points there. Um, he averaged 1.93 shots per game as an AHL rookie, 2.67 this year. Um, and he got four of his 22 goals on the power play. So pretty decent even strength score as well. Um, in five playoff games in 2019, he averaged two shots per game and he had two goals in the sixth. 
Um, so the, the volume there uh, is definitely there for Bellows. It, he's labeled as a guy who plays left wing. So that's the opposite side of uh, Simon Holmstrom, the opposite side of Oliver Wallstrom. Uh, whether he stays at left wing and goes to right wing, we'll see. Um, but uh, he's got a bit more stiff competition um, when it comes to, to making the team um, on, the, on the left wing. Um, getting back to Holmstrom, the thing about Holmstrom, yeah, he didn't have the kind of numbers that Bellows had. However, key thing to keep in mind about Holmstrom, his shots per game was much lower than Bellows. He averaged just over a shot per game, and he converted on 17% of his shots. So his shooting percentage was actually better than Bellows this year, and two of his eight goals were power play goals. Um, so... Yeah, you can say, well, Bellis led the team in goals. Yeah, Bellis leads the team in points. Simon is a rookie playing in the AHL. He leads all rookies on the team with eight goals. He's 11th in team scoring, but he leads all rookie forwards um, on the team with uh, 15 points, I believe. Um, so when you consider that, and you also consider that Holmstrom hasn't made his NHL debut, um, I definitely think he needs more time in the AHL, but he's certainly shown enough um, where I'm confident that in three years he'll be knocking on the door of the Islanders and eager to make a statement at the big leagues. Yeah, I think the, the thing, though, with Holmstrom is, is I don't know if he'll necessarily be in the top six. I could definitely yeah, see him on the third line. Um, but as for Bellows, he could be in the top six. Um, but it, it might be it might be a wait for him to see uh, see that. Um, yeah. All right. So uh, Sebastian Aho, the other Sebastian Aho. Uh, this is our last prospect we're talking about for the Islanders here. Um, yeah, it's funny. I guess the the biggest difference between this Sebastian Aho, other than um, the position that this Sebastian Aho and the other Sebastian Aho. The more famous Sebastian Ajo is, is that this guy is a defenseman. Um, he's also Swedish, whereas uh, the Carolina Ajo is Finnish and a center. So um, there's that. Uh, also, this Sebastian Ajo, the defenseman, is a fifth rounder, where I believe Sebastian Ajo, the other Sebastian Ajo, was like a second rounder or something of that. But, um, but anyways. Uh, yeah, there's, there's, um, if, if this Sebastian Ajo is in the league, um, it'll be kind of confusing, uh, because considering that they're in the same division too. Um, anyways, uh, he had a pretty good season, actually. I remember we were, we were debating on who to pick as our last guy here in Sebastian Ajo. Uh, was the one that when you're looking at the Bridgeport Sound Tigers, uh, he's, He's the second best, uh, he has the second highest points on the team, which is impressive for a defenseman where he had 30 points in 49 games for them. Um, and uh, the previous year, he had 46 points in 67 games. Um, and the year before that, he had uh, 29 points in 40 games at, for Bridgeport. Um, and he even played a couple of games in in the New York Islanders system where he had four points in 22 games. So, um, so odds are is that like, he's going to be pretty good. But as we mentioned with, for Dobson, 
it's going to be tough to uh, see where he fits because um, although at the same time, um, you know, he doesn't have to worry about Pulak and Dobson as much considering that they're both right-handed defensemen and Aho is a left-handed defenseman, but uh, there's still Nick Letty, uh, Andy Green, and Thomas Hickey uh, there uh, to, to consider. Um, so I think eventually we'll see him in the league because he will eventually be better than those guys. Um, he could, but like, he's definitely in like a top two D pairing, um, maybe in a couple of years. Yeah. Like, I mean, Thomas Hickey was once placed on waivers while right. Andy Green is nearing the end of his career. So it could be in a couple of years, we could see this guy or getting next at year. least, yeah. <laughs> yeah, even next year, as soon as next year, he could be getting top four minutes, uh, especially with his AHL stats. Um, when you talk about 46 points in 67 games as a second-year player, a year after he got 29 points in 40 games, um, that, those 46 points were actually good enough to put him in the top 10 for the highest-scoring AHL defenseman. I believe he was the ninth-best-scoring blue liner with 46 points uh, last year. Um, and he wasn't even a top 20 performer in shots on goal, but he still picked up a lot of points. Um, he wasn't a top 20 guy in shots and points this year, but still 30 points in 49 games near the top of his team and scoring once again, like he's been the past three years, he's led all Bridgeport defensemen in points. Um, the past couple of years, he's been amongst the team leaders in points, um, and even before then, had a lot of success uh, in Europe. He had uh, 23 points in 27 games at the Super Elite level in 2013-14. Um, he was named best defenseman in that league. Um, played some time in the SHL that same year, and he was a part of a championship run. Um, in the following 80 SHL games that he played outside of that year, he got a combined 25 points. Then he had 30 points in 50 games in 2016-17. And I believe, yep, that is the year uh, he was taken as a fifth-round pick uh, by the Islanders. And he's also got some uh, hardware at international events as well. Um, when you look at his NHL numbers, he's averaged 16-15 per game and 58 seconds of power play time. Uh, that was back in 2017-18 with those high-flying Islanders that didn't have Trotz as their coach and put offense ahead of defense then. So the question is going to be okay. Under a new system with Barry Trotz as the coach, how is Sebastian Ajo going to perform? I don't think it's a matter of what kind of role he's going to have on the team. I think at worst, he's a second-pairing guy. At best, someday he is going to be the top option on the left-hand side. Um, the question is how he's going to be performing under Trotz's system, because while he does have 22 games under his belt at the highest level, none of them have been coached by Barry Trotz. Right. Yeah, so yeah, that is a good point that Barry Trotz hasn't coached him yet. So um, it will be interesting to see how how that dynamic works out for them. But, um, you know, it could work out. Um <laughs> Good. Yeah. So we're now going to go to the New York Rangers, um, and uh, these these next two teams are actually like 
uh, pretty hot, heavy in the prospect pools because that's because the last couple of years they've all made both these teams, the New York Rangers and the Ottawa Senators, have made a bunch of trades where they get a lot of prospects from other teams um, and that uh, makes their prospect pool uh, a lot better. The difference, though, between the Rangers and the Senators, at least this year, is that the Rangers actually almost made the playoffs, <laughs> um, whereas the Senators uh, did not. Uh, that's an understatement. But um, the but the Rangers uh, almost made the playoffs because they had a superstar when they signed him, uh, Artemi Panarin. They also <laughs> have Adam Fox. Um, who did well in Anthony D'Angelo. We've talked about them before, but uh, it was their rookie year. Well, it was their rookie year for Adam Fox, but Anthony D'Angelo, it wasn't, And but it was his breakout year. And Jacob Trubo is another one who, who did decently, but um, that was a big reason why all three of those guys were, um, or the Rangers were even like in the playoff bubble. Um, with Panarin as well. Another reason, uh, and we're going to talk about him pretty soon, but uh, Igor Shesterkin made his NHL debut, um, and he did pretty well right off the gate. So um, so that was impressive. But uh, that's also, like, their, their future is looking pretty bright too, considering we're about to talk about a couple of these guys. Uh, so the first one we're going to talk about is the second overall pick last year, in Capo Caco, um, because we talked about Jack Hughes last uh, last week, it makes sense that uh, the same applies for Capo Caco. There was a lot expected of him. In fact, that we were all expecting him to be the like to be in the Calder race, uh, uh, much like um, Jack Hughes was. But um, it doesn't look like obviously the Calder race hasn't happened yet, or like the nominations aren't happening there, but I'd be shocked to see him being there. Um, in his first year um, in the league, though, he in 66 games, he had 23 points. 10 of those were goals and 13 assists. Um, and he has, uh, that's under 14 minutes of average ice time. Um, and then he you know the previous year he had 38 points in 45 games in la liga um, and in that world juniors he had five points in seven games he also played in the world championship that year where he had seven points in 10 games um and that was i think that was the tournament where jack hughes also played in and uh capo caco kind of outplayed him uh and most he had more points than him um, at least, and so that was showing that, like, oh, maybe the Devils should pick Kako instead of Jack Hughes, but um, it turns out that <laughs> the uh, that either one you did well in, they did well in. So, um, anyways, the uh, New York, um, so yeah, he had a bit of a disappointing rookie year, um, I remember there was like some talk about it, or I remember specifically Larry David was on, he's the Curb Your Enthusiasm guy um, for all yeah. you Canadians people 
I don't know if they get that show in Canada. Anyways, he was on he was on the radio show and there was like a clip where he was yelling at um the coach uh because apparently he's a Rangers fan. Oh yeah. And he was yelling at the coach because he was he didn't understand why Kako was on the fourth line. Um yeah. so so I that's mostly what I remember of Kapokako this year. Um, so, yeah, I think it's one of those things where um, he should be having more ice time um, in, his, in his stead, but instead it's not the case um, anymore. But, yeah. Um, yeah, what do you have on Kapokako? Well, first off, the Rangers are a very weird team, okay? Because <laughs> when they got Capo Caco, when they actually lucked themselves into Capo Caco, because they won the lottery, they ended up getting the second overall pick. They did not have Artemi Panarin. They did not have Jacob Truba. They did not have Adam Fox, who have all played, um, for the most part, pivotal roles um, on their roster. Um, you had Kravtsov still in the AHL. You had Shizurkin still in the KHL. They were a very, very, very different team. And now all of a sudden, the Rangers are contending for a playoff spot. And the head coach of the New York Rangers, David Quinn, is a guy that is kind of like a blend of like, you know, I want to I wanna teach my guys properly. I want to rebuild this the right way. But I also want to win now. And... <laughs> The Rangers management in the span of 18 months went from, yeah, we're rebuilding to, oh, we might actually make the playoffs and we gave our Timmy Panarin a crap ton of money to play for us. Like, the Rangers have the benefit of playing in probably the most electrifying market in all of America. Like, I'm sure if they were in a situation like the Ottawa Senators, they would not have people wanting to play for them in a rebuilding year. Like, there aren't too many markets that can pull that off. So the Rangers are very fortunate in that regard. That being said, Capo Caco is probably in that bubble of if playing Capo Caco on the fourth line helps us get wins, then we'll continue to develop Caco. We'll continue to give him chances, but we're not going to put him on the ice if it means more goals against and less chance to win. Right. this is all a part of David Quinn's plan. Eventually, you will see Capo Caco um, in a top six role, especially when you consider who's ahead of him on the depth chart. There's not too many guys on at uh, Caco's position on right wing that I look and just say, oh, yeah, there's no way Caco can, can beat out those guys. He absolutely can. The The main competition for Capo Caco is Chris Kreider. Yeah. Like, Chris Kreider is the only thing standing in Capo Caco's way of playing with Artemi Panarin and Mika Zibanejad. At some point, Caco's going to hit his stride. He's going to be put on that massive top line, and you watch him go. He is going to be a stud. Like, last year, in his first real season of the Liga, he was, I believe, sixth in goals. He had 22 goals. In In a league amongst men, he had 22 goals. He goes to the World Juniors, accelerates, dominates, whatever electrifying word you have in the dictionary. He did that, and he got a gold medal. 
and then he goes to the World Hockey Championships. Again, tournament amongst men, does very, very well. He gets six goals. Finns win gold in that tournament as well. He was a big part of that team. And now all of a sudden we're saying, what's wrong with Capocaco? It Again, sometimes success takes a little bit of time. You take a look at his numbers. Yeah, the even strength time on ice is under 15 minutes per game this year in 66 games. He's still averaging over two minutes on the power play. He still has 13 power play points. 13 of his 23 points on the season overall are on the power play. What's weird about that is eight of his 10 goals haven't come on the power play. They've come outside of the power play. And 11 of his 13 assists have come on the power play. So it's it's very interesting that most of his points are on the power play, but most of his goals are even strength. So that that's a curious part of Capocaco's game. But um, right now, currently a third line option for the Rangers. Brendan Lemieux is slotted on the left side. Brett Howden is listed as the third line center. Um, in his first three shots, Capo scored six goals and he got two assists. That was over his first 16 games. Um, but again, like the star power, he wasn't playing with Panarin constantly. He wasn't playing with Sabanajad or Kreider constantly. It would be mostly guys like Philip Kittle, uh, Ryan Strom, um, like I mentioned, Howden and Lemieux previously. Yeah. Um, played a little bit with Phil G- D. Giuseppe, who's being experimented on the top line for some reason yeah. at last check. So at some point, he is going to get those top line minutes. Um, he's got more upside than Justin Richards and Vinny Letary and Jake Elmer and a bunch of other guys. Ty Ronning had a great season in the WHL, but outside of that 61-goal season, um, you look at his AHL numbers and he's struggling to make an impact there. It's, again, another case of, yeah, we could have sent him down to the, into the American Hockey League and watch him expose everybody at will, but... I think it's probably better to just have him go through the growing pains now and he'll find his offensive stride eventually. I think that's the similar game plan. The Devils have a Jack Hughes and similar to Jack Hughes, at some point down the road, it will pay dividends for the Rangers and Capocaco. Yeah, uh, just to correct you, by the way, because you mentioned uh, the only competition that Caco has on that top line is... Chris Kreider to play with Panarin and Zabinijad. And yeah. uh, Chris Kreider's a left winger and Kako is a right winger. So his actual competition is Pavel Buchnevich, who currently has oh, right. that spot. Although I, I, I have yeah. seen Kreider on the left wing, so maybe that was just an experiment. But No, but Kreider right. is Kreider has always been a left winger. Okay. But uh Kako is a right winger. Um, I thought so, I saw him on right wing for some reason. It's fine. Yeah, I, it's it's fine. I mean, I've I've messed up in this episode too. So maybe <laughs> maybe in terms of power play points, Kreider could but, be a threat. Yeah, Kaka. possibly. But but, but it does even, even strength like yeah. on his line. Yeah. So I like his chances a bit more now. Yeah, of course, because Pavel Buchnevich and Jesper Fast. The, the is they're paying him a lot of money already to yeah. be a top six forward. Right. Preferably a top line guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, exactly. So <laughs> it was funny when you were saying Kreider is like, 
Yeah, I guess he is, but it's more Buchnevich and Jesper Fass, which we already know that he is better than. Uh, not mm-hmm. to knock Buchnevich or Jesper Fast even, but um, there's that. And also there is that uh, thing like Ryan Strom is the second line center, and he has been pretty good uh, this year, but um, I do wonder how consistent he can be. Um, so that's that's another thing where it's like maybe the Rangers will eventually be like a top line team if Kako gets gets it all together when you have Zibanejad, Panarin, and Kako on your top line. That's a pretty good top line. And the other thing with Ryan Strom is how much of that has to do with um, the the guys around him as right. well. Because he's also playing with, with a Panarin. lot of good talent this year. True. Yeah. Um, all right, the next guy we're going to talk about is uh, K. Andre Miller. Um, he uh, so he's been he's been pretty good the last couple of years. Uh, he had uh, this year a, a little bit less than, but um, but still decent. He had 18 points in 36 games um, for University of Wisconsin, um, and then he went to the World Juniors. Um, where he had two assists and five games. Um, and then the year before that, which was when he really made his mark, he had 22 points in 26 games uh, for University of Wisconsin, um, which, uh, which is kind of interesting because t- that team did not have Cole Caulfield or Alex Turcotte, um, but this year he, do- he does have it, and his, uh, his stats are a little bit worse, which is, which is kind of funny. Uh, yeah, but, and the, and the yeah. team as a whole wasn't good. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so maybe uh, he's one of those forward who's turned blue liners, um, and uh, maybe that has you know that's like I think that's like uh, what Brent Burns was, uh, if you remember back when. Dustin where, Bufflin as well. Dustin Bufflin's another one. So uh, that's another interesting aspect about him. Um, and I believe he's more of like a heavy hitter type block shotter kind of guy as well. So he's a bit more of a two-way guy, but he can put up points on the board if need be, like he did his uh, freshman year at Wisconsin. Um, so yeah, he, he's an exciting player. The thing though is the Rangers, with the emergence of Tony D'Angelo and uh, Adam Fox in their midst, and I guess Jacob Trouba as well, um, yeah, I'm not sure how much room, where he's going to fit, um, in their defenseman system eventually. Oh, by the way, I forgot to do the free agents this year for the Rangers, but, um, it's not too bad. Jesper Fast, Greg McKaig are both UFAs, and then RFAs, you have Ryan Strom, who we just talked about, Brendan Lemieux, who we also just talked about, uh, Giuseppe, Anthony D'Angelo, and Georgiev. So those the RFAs are all um, are probably more uh, noteworthy, um, and they, they they're probably going to be in some cap space hell for quite some time when they sign Panarin and Jacob Truba to long term deals like they did last year. So we'll see how they do that, but. Um, yeah, I could see, um, I wonder how they're going to fit K. Andre Miller in there, if they're going to bring him up, but I think they can wait a bit, um, and just move him to Hartford, 
uh, probably next year if he decides to go to the NHL um, and signs his, you know, signs his ELC. But um, yeah, at the moment, uh, I think he could be a future top defenseman for the Rangers. But since there is Adam Fox that he has to worry about, D'Angelo he has to worry about, and Jacob Truba that he also has to worry about, it's um, it's going to make it tough. Um, I'm looking here, and he ha he's a left-handed defenseman. Um, so that is good news because uh, Mark Stahl and Ryan Lindgren are noted the only left-handed defensemen on the team right now, where Truba, D'Angelo, and Fox aren't. So I guess I take all that back. Ke'Andre <laughs> uh, Miller will have a good shot considering he's a left-handed defenseman and not a right-handed defenseman. Yeah, it's uh, it's the same uh, analogy we used with um, Chris Kreider um, not being a right winger and being a left winger. Yeah. It makes it it makes it a bit easier for Andre Miller, just like it is easier for Capocacco to make his impact um, on his side of the wing. Um, it should be a bit easier as a left hand defenseman for Andre Miller to make his impact, especially when Brady Shea, who was a left hand defenseman, just got traded to the Hurricanes at the deadline on. A lengthy contract too with a lot of terms still on it so yeah, they right. obviously feel that keandre miller sooner rather than later is going to be ready to make an impact on the rangers um also you have mark Stahl's contract just to get back to the cap thing mark Stahl, henrik lundquist and brendan smith who is a defenseman turned forward apparently um yeah. their contracts at some point within the next year or two are going to be off the books, which helps their cap space when it comes time to extend Kako to Jerkin and uh, keep Andre Miller in the fold probably too. Um, so they'll be in less cap hell by then, hopefully. Um, but yeah, focusing on Andre, um, 22 points in 26 games. This was before Caulfield and Turcotte joined the team. Um, Average 2.23 shots per game. That's pretty good for a defenseman. Um, he, um, he had 40 points in 62 games over two seasons uh, with Wisconsin. That's very respectable. Um, 18 points in 36 games this year. Um, shooting percentage stayed relatively the same. He uh, bumped up his shots on goal total um, from last year, but played in more games. So his shots per game actually went down just a tad. Um, in his first four NCAA games in his first year, he had a point in three of those four. Um, he had five multi-point games. His longest uh, drought without a point in 2018-19 was three games. Um, his first multi-point game was actually his first three-point game, too. Um, and then we go to this year where it wasn't great, but his... Um, his first multi-goal game was actually, I think, his first or second game of the year. Uh, yeah, game number two of his second year was his first multi-goal game. He also went on a six-game point streak from mid-November to December 1st. Um, and he had three goals and four goals, seven points in that six-game point streak. Um, so like you said, Brett, Mark Stahl, Brian Lundgren are basically the only competition that he has on the left side. Um, so that makes it a bit easier for um, a guy like uh, Andre Miller to make an impact. Now, they do have a lot of left-handed shots 
in their prospect pool, they have Libor Hayek, they have Igor Rykov, Matthew Robertson, Sean Day, Tarmo Runanen, unsigned prospect Zachary Jones, and unsigned prospect Nico Gross. And you might see a few of those guys in the NHL someday, but Miller is primed to make an impact first. It might take a year or two in the AHL, but when you see Mark Stahl's contract come off the books, I think whether he's ready or not, Miller is going to be in the NHL. Yeah, for sure. Um, Well, he will be in the NHL, but I would imagine we'll see him in Hartford for a bit, too. But, but it's, it's... So the next guy we're going to talk about is Igor Shosturkin. Uh, he, uh, like we mentioned before with Ilya Sorokin, he's another KHL guy who's been in the KHL for quite some time. But uh, he finally, the only difference is, is that he finally made the jump overseas and moved uh, to America. Uh, he, and then he did really well almost right away. Uh, to the point where the Rangers were believing that they could be successful and stuff um, and make the playoffs this year, in fact. Um, kind of changed the team around, in fact. Reminiscent of Jordan Biddington um, and Carter Hart, even, yep. from last year. So, uh, he, uh, before we get into what he did this year for the Rangers, uh, in Scott St. Petersburg, he had a 953... City percentage in a 1.11 GAA in 28 games. Um, and also last year, uh, the year before that, for Scott St. Petersburg, he had a 9.33 save percentage in a 1.7 GAA in 28 games. The year before that, he had a 9.37 save percentage and a 1.64 GAA in 39 games. Um, he is 24 right now, so he did that all while he was 21, 22, and 23 years old. Um, which is pretty impressive, obviously, and very reminiscent of uh, Ilya Sorokin, as we just talked about. Um, Then we go over to the Rangers here, um, and he plays uh, a couple of games in Hartford. Um, In 25 games, he has a 1.9 GAA and a save percentage of 9.34. Um, and you're like, okay, well, can he do this in the NHL? And he was starting to, actually. Um, in 12 games, he had a GAA of 2.52, and a save percentage from 9.32. Kind of forced the Rangers' hand in a bit because he was playing too well. Um, and the Rangers um, are, were planning on rebuilding this year, in fact. But since he was playing too well, they kind of... Uh, they started playing him more, um, and uh, the other interesting fact about it is because he was he was playing too well, um, they had they had to keep three goalies in their system up in the majors um, at a time. So you have uh, Lundqvist, um, who has declined considerably the last couple of years, um, but he has a no movement clause. So he can't move unless he, you know, you, he has to. Um, you have Igor Shosturkin, who we just talked about. And then you have Alexander Georgiev, who's going to probably be the odd man out. Um, not by choice, but because he is an RFA this year. 
and it seems like Igor Shosturkin is going to be the goalie of the future. And Henrik Lundqvist, who has a no-movement clause, it's going to be tough to... Um, and it, it doesn't seem like the king doesn't want to move um, anytime soon. So, unless Henrik Lundqvist moves, I think Georgios is the odd man out in this goalie system. Um, but... Anyways, going back to Shesterkin, uh, Shesterkin is the goalie of the future, um, and I guess the the Rangers kind of lucked out in their goalies um, because you have this guy, you have Lundqvist, who's probably one of the best goalies of the past decade or so, and then you had Mike Richter um, of years before that, so... Uh, Shesterkin has the potential to be the best Rangers goalie in quite some time, in fact, uh, which is impressive considering what I just said. Um, and yeah, he, he could be, it'll be interesting to see which of these goalies will do better in New York. Um, it's also interesting that they're both, um, they're both Russian goalies, um, did really well in the KHL. And they both have the initials of IS, and they both were drafted by New York teams. So um, there's a lot of comparisons to this guy in Sorokin, but um, Shesterkin uh, has looked like he's going to be a pretty good goalie uh, for, a, for a long time now. Well, I'll add to the comparisons uh, between him and Elias Sorokin. Uh, in his draft year, uh, his stats weren't glamorous. Uh, one 5 and 2 record in nine games. GAA of 2.8, save percentage of 9.03, averaging uh, 23 shots face per game. Um, then gets traded to uh, a different team. Uh, his first team was uh, Spartak, and uh, his second team was SKA St. Petersburg, um, where he's played since 2014-15. And uh, it started out as a backup role. He went 3-0-3 in uh, six games. Uh, with his new team in 2014-15. In 2015-16, he went 5-2-0. Uh, GAA went from 2.33 up to 2.58, but his save percentage only dropped from 9.17 to 9.12. A big reason for that, his shots per game went up dramatically. It went from 18.1 to 29.2, and yet he still posted a decent GAA, a decent save percentage, and he won five of his seven games. So that was a bit of a glimpse into what he could become. And then his reign of dominance continues. He goes 27-4-6 and six in 39 games in 2016-17, facing 24.4 shots per game there. Uh, then we go to 2017-18. He goes 24-4 and four in those 28 games, uh, facing 23.9 shots per game. So his uh, shots per game goes down by 0.5 compared to the previous year. He has 15 combined shutouts in those two seasons I just mentioned. Then we get to 2018-19 where he records 24 wins and just four losses. His GAA is a buck 11. Save percentage is 9.53, still averaging 23 uh, shots face per game. Um, Playoff-wise, not nearly as uh, glamorous as uh, Shazurkin's stats, but he still went 8-6-0 in 16 games. Um, 
and still put up a 919 save percentage of GAA just under two. Regular season-wise, top 10 goalie in GAA shutout save percentage, just like uh, Ilya Sorokin. Um, what's, what's really interesting is the fact that in 95 of its 117 games, his team got at least a point. He won 80 of his 117 games, only had 19 regulation losses in that stretch. Um, so again, whether he faced 18 shots or 30 shots in a game, he was able to stop enough pucks and he was able to get results for his team. So you got all of that. Then we go to the AHL where he plays 25 games. He goes 17, four and three with a 1.9 GAA and a 9.34 save percentage. Facing 27.9 shots per game records three shutouts in the process. Here's where things get absolutely crazy for Shishirkin. He was 43rd out of 49 AHL goalies this season in terms of games played. He ranks second in goals against average. He ranks second in save percentage. He ranks 12th in wins and seventh in shutouts at the time uh, the season was canceled. Uh, he posted three separate win streaks that have gone beyond four games. Over his 25 appearances, he was charged with two goals or less in 17 of his 25 starts. Two goals or less. He went over three goals on just three occasions. And in 14 of his 25 starts, so that's 56% of his starts, Brett, he gave up one goal or less in the AHL this wow. year. Like, can't make this stuff up. Just playing out of his mind. You thought, okay, he goes to the NHL, he's going to look human at that point. And then he wins 10 of his first 12 games. But again, the way he's done it is insane. He has yeah. faced in the NHL over his first 12 games, Brett, 35.3 shots per game. He has won 10 of his first 12 games. He has gone on a seven-game win streak. He has put up great numbers against great competition. There are actually, um, as a matter of fact, in five games where he's faced at least 40 shots, uh, in five of his first 12 NHL games, he's faced at least 40 shots. He's won all five. In seven of his first NHL games, he's given up two or less. He's gone six one one a six one and zero. Sorry, in those games. Um, again, twenty four years old, being thrown into the fire on a rebuilding Rangers team for the most part, and he's still getting wins for them. And then you get into not just teams like New Jersey and Detroit and LA that are rebuilding. Even even though he has faced 40 plus shots in a few of those games, the question everyone's gonna be asking is, okay, well, how did you stack up against an actual playoff contender? Well, in his debut against Colorado, stopped 29 of 32, got the win. In a game against Columbus, he lost that game, but he only gave up two goals on 31 shots. Um, beat Toronto, 27 saves on 30 shots. Beat Winnipeg, stop 42 of 43 in Winnipeg. That's tough to do. Uh, goes to Chicago, stops 37 of 40, gets the win there. And then in a back-to-back -back against Carolina and San Jose, where they could have gone with either Georgiev or Lundqvist, they go to him both times. He stops 71 of 75. Rangers win both games. 
Yeah. A guy that doesn't start off in the NHL at the start of the year, coming over from the KHL, and by the end of the season, they're relying him on both sets of a back-to-back, and he delivers both times. You don't see that very often. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's going to be pretty good. and I He think, already is. Yeah. He's already a part of their future. Yeah. It's not just he won't be a part of their future next year. He is their future right now. He has pushed Henrik Lundqvist out of the equation entirely. And that's tough to say because Henrik Lundqvist has been one of the best European goalies in history and will remain that way when he retired. Yeah, although at the same way, it's like Henrik Lundqvist is a 37-year-old player um, <laughs> and he hasn't been as good as he has in, the, in years past. So... Uh, that has something to do with it. He has but, yes. over 400 wins, though. Historically, he's been yeah, good. Of course. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I do wonder... Um, I do wonder where... What Lundqvist's future is going to be, considering the emergence of Shesterkin. And Georgiev has been pretty good in his own right, too. So, um, I wonder what the Rangers are going to do. I imagine they'll address it sometime this offseason. Um, yeah. And also, I just looked as well. Uh, so Sorokin and Shesterkin have another similarity in that they were both drafted in the 2014 in- entry draft. Um, so uh, so that's, uh, that's interesting, too. Also, I guess the 2014 NHL draft is looking to be pretty, pretty good because you have Dreisaitl, Pasternak, uh, Shesterkin and Sorokin already. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're looking pretty good. Um, also, okay, so the next guy we're going to talk about is uh, another, I guess the Rangers love guys that have K's in their name, because uh, this is another guy, because uh, Vitaly Kravtsov is this guy that we're going to talk about next. Um, and he also plays, he also played for the KHL, like Shesterkin did. Um the year before that, he had so for his last year in the KHL, he had 21 points in 50 games, which is pretty good. Um, the year before that, he had seven points in 35 games. But I think the reason why the Rangers wanted to take him uh, ninth overall was because they had um, because during the playoffs he had a an 11. Uh, points in 16 games in the KHL playoffs when he was 18 years old. So that's that just shows how clutch he can be. Um, and uh, yeah, he, he looked pretty good the year after that. Uh, he also played in the World Juniors for Russia where he had six, six points in seven games. Um, this year, I guess he was like supposed to be on the team for the Rangers, but it looks like it didn't actually happen and he was just moved to the Hartford uh, Wolfpack for a time. He was also sent to the KHL on loan. Um, for the KHL, he had uh, th- he played in 11 games where he had three points in two games, um, but th- two goals. Um, sorry, 11 games. Um, <laughs> I can't speak for some reason. Um, and now in the Hartford Wolfpack, he had 15 points in 39 games. So a little bit underwhelming considering what we were expecting of him kind of like what Oliver Wallstrom uh was but um at the same time it's it's still not bad and 
I think because the Rangers are actually doing well with guys like Panarin, Ryan Strom, Zibanejad, um, and even like Bushnevich and Kreider and Heedle and all those guys, like they can take their time with Kraftsoff and um, wait for him to be um, to get used to the North American ice. Um, <clears throat> as they say, that's a real thing. Um, but, uh, but once he's out there, I would imagine he'll be, um, a lot like Capo Caco, uh, he's a right winger, so, so he'll probably be in the top two lines, because he'll, he's better than Buchnevich, and he's better than Jesper Fast, um, who are currently the top two guys right, on the right side for them, so, um, I could see uh, uh, them already he's already going to be in the top six uh, it's just a matter of when yeah and he's also a guy that brings grit and physical size which like Kako makes him even tougher to contain and shut down like he basically dares you you know do whatever you want you're not going to stop me yeah and um he also has very quick hands very good hands and awareness um which as the makings of a top six forward, much like Okako. So um, you're, you're certainly right, Brett, before that playoff run, he wasn't even close to being like a top 10 pick. But um, again, the fact that his ice time compared to the regular season rose by four or two in that playoffs, wasn't even averaging 10 minutes per game in the regular season. And yet he was averaging 17 shifts per game in the playoffs. He was averaging over 13 minutes and he was posting 11 points in 16 games as a rookie, pretty much. Um, that that was that was definitely significant for him. And in three playoff rounds, he was named Rookie of the Week. So um, clearly, the KHL also took notice there. Um, the 21 points in 50 games in 2018-19, he averaged 15.31 per game, 18 shifts per game. Um, the the shots per game also went up considerably. It was at one on the nose the previous regular season. It was 2.28 in uh, the regular season in four playoff games. That year, he only got two assists, but he averaged three shots per game there. Continued to average 15 to 16 minutes per game. Uh, then you go to his numbers with um, Hartford Wolfpack. Um, he had an 8.7 shooting percentage, averaged 1.76 shots per game. The potential is most definitely there, and he only played in 39 games. So 15 points in 39 games is it's it's not something to write home about. It's not electrifying numbers, but it's a good starting point, and it's going to take another year or two to adjust. But I definitely think this guy's going to be a very effective forward. Um, as we discussed in the World Juniors, against guys his age, he can be a dynamic, he can be a dominant player, um, and it'll t it'll take some time to, to get used to the North American game, but when he does get used to it and when he does find a stride, he's going to be a very, very good player. Uh, in terms of prospects, outside of Kako, there's also Julian Gauthier, yep. who has... Uh, done well in the AHL already. He had 27 goals last year with the Charlotte Checkers. 
He had 26 goals this year before getting traded to the Rangers at the trade deadline. And um, overall, he has some hype to him as well. He had some good years in junior. He had a couple of 35 to 40 goal seasons in his own right. Um, but I think I think the ceiling's just a little bit higher for Kravtsov. So I think if, if uh, Kravtsov controls his own destiny and he plays his cards right, um, Julian Goche is going to have a tougher time cracking the Rangers lineup than Kravtsov will. Yeah. I will say, though, that since we, t- we said the same thing about Kako, like that Kako doesn't have a ton of competition on the right side. Um, so, but I guess Kravtsov and Kako will probably have competition for who's going to get to play with Kanarin and Zabinijad. I guess yeah, they'll, yeah. they'll have competition for top power play minutes and top line. Of course. Minutes, you're yeah. right. Um, in terms of top six, that both will probably be in there. Right, for sure. Um, okay, so the next guy we're going to talk about is uh, Niles Lundquist. So another Lundquist, um, although I guess it's spelled a little bit different because this is spelled with yeah, a K. Yeah, so it's, it's even spelled differently on two different web pages, which is weird. So Yeah, some spell it like the way that Henrik spells it, and others spell yeah. it with a K. Um, yeah. Anyways, um, <clears throat> I have it with a V. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so the so yeah, Niles Lundqvist. He um, <clears throat> he he didn't have a lot like Kravtsov. He didn't have a great uh, draft year um, where he had like five points in twenty eight games for the SHL, um, but and fourteen. Uh, points in 26 games for the Super Elite, which is like the minor leagues for the SHL. Um, and then uh, the next year when he was drafted for the um, for the Rangers, uh, he he plays in the SA, the Swedish Hockey League some more. Uh, he has 10 points in 41 games, um, which is pretty good considering that the Swedish Hockey League is a professional hockey league. Um, and he is, he would be 19 years old at that point. Um, and then this year was when he really took stride and really got going. And he had a thir- 31 points in 45 games for Luella, Luella as a 20 year old, or as a, sorry, as, I guess he's it still says that he's 19, but I would imagine he's 20. Um, and then in the world juniors for Sweden, he had eight points in seven games. Uh, the thing that um, that will make it tough for Niles Lundqvist, um, which is different than K. Andre Miller, is that Niles is a right-handed defenseman, and as we mentioned before, Jacob Truba, Anthony D'Angelo, and Adam Fox are all right-handed defensemen. Um, but that could also you could also spin this into being a good thing, where this seems like a kind of player that. Um, is like a late bloomer of sorts. So um, maybe you put him into the AHL for even like two years and uh, let him go. And then you bring him up, um, especially how inconsistent, maybe like Anthony D'Angelo isn't as good um, as his breakout year is, or he falls off or the same can be said for Adam Fox or something like that. I don't imagine Jacob Truba will fall off, but uh, it's definitely possible. 
as well. So maybe you like bring him in in case one of these guys um, doesn't do as well. Um, Anthony D'Angelo is going to be an RFA, so that could all be telling on how what what their plans are for Niles Lundqvist if it's a long term deal for him. Maybe you know maybe they don't <laughs> they they don't bring Niles Lundqvist into the mix, but if it's a short term deal deal then. Lundqvist uh, could be the replacement for him, but um, at the moment, um, it's uh, it's another bright spot for the Rangers for sure in a in a very deep prospect pool already. Yeah, so um, I was mentioning, oh look at how many uh, guys in the prospect pool that uh, Keandre Miller has to battle out. Yeah. Um, they don't have too many guys in terms of right-handed shots in the prospect pool, and that's because they're pretty much set on the right side with their roster. Like you mentioned, yeah. Jacob Truba paying a lot of money, getting paid a lot of money to be that number one guy on the right side. Then you also have Adam Fox, who's having a great year. Anthony D'Angelo, who's having a tremendous year. Um, at less than a million dollars, you'll probably get a fair bit more than that in his next contract. Um, so they're basically one of those guys is getting third pairing minutes. So how is Niles Lundqvist going to fit into that equation when you already have your top three pairings already set on the right side? Yeah. You're going to have to move that around. So, uh, in terms of pure right-handed shots, he's got a lot of competition to beat out on the roster. Like you mentioned, um, the situation with Adam Fox and Anthony D'Angelo are probably going to determine that or a trade halfway through into Jacob Truba's contract. If he's not performing might also be possible. Um, his rookie year at the super elite level, he had uh, 14 points in 26 games at the super elite level. Um, he had five points in 28 SHL games um, there. And he also had uh, time to represent Sweden um, internationally uh, as well in his draft year. Um, that meteoric rise, like you said, it was progressing a little bit in 2018-19. 10 points in 41 SHL games is pretty good. Um, but then we really got to see it uh, this year. And he also got bronze at uh, the World Juniors, uh, recording eight points in seven games and uh, putting up uh, seven assists. Um, so I, I definitely see the upside with this guy. Um, he's being described as a mobile puck moving defenseman. They have a lot of that, um, a quick decision maker that likes to join the rush and he displays confidence with the puck on his stick. And I think that's, that's the big thing. Um, when it comes to like NHL players, you don't want guys that are total cocky and just like to like into themselves, you know, like you don't want too many narcissistic me first type of personalities, yeah. but at the same time, you don't want a guy when the lights go on, that's that just turns into a vampire and is just afraid of the light. And he doesn't want to step on the ice and he just gets fearful. Every time the play comes to him, you want a guy that can display his confidence everywhere he goes. So it's, it seems to be a perfect blend of, confidence but not cockiness for for this guy and he's a guy that 
really likes to work on his skill. He's going to be turning 20 years old on July 27th, so still a bit of ways away from 20 years old, but um, by the time next season rolls around, he will be 20. Um, I definitely like his upside, um, and I think he'll spend a couple of years in the AHL developing his craft, and with the amount of depth they have on the right-hand side, that might be the best thing for him is just to develop him without the need to rush his development whatsoever. Just let him play out the year, let him play as much as he can in the AHL. And then when he's ready, you bring him up and you see what he's got. So I think in three years, he'll be knocking on the doorstep, um, asking for a chance to prove himself. And um, at that point, uh, we'll, we'll see how the Rangers handle their blue line. Right. Um, before we go on to the Ottawa Centers, I do have some honorable mentions. Uh, first off, for the Rangers, prospect pool, because there are some guys to watch out for. This is a tough, this is a tough list, because like, these were five guys that we kind of had to talk about, but mm -hmm. I could see us talking about a couple of these other guys. Uh, first off, uh, the obvious ones that um, are already in the NHL for quite some time, and we already know a bit about them already, so... Uh, it wouldn't make sense to talk about them, but uh, they are worth noting because because uh, they are going to be a big part of their future in a couple of years. Uh, Adam Fox, Philip Heedle, Brett Howden, and uh, Ryan Lundgren, uh, Lindgren um, are all guys that are in the NHL um, and stuff. Uh, we didn't mention Leas Anderson, who has a bit of like a Casey Middlestad type appeal to him. Um, you know, where he might take some time and he hasn't been as good as we thought he could be, but uh, there is room for him on the uh, on being a center there um, at a top line center if Ryan Strom is, it doesn't fit the bill somehow. Also, uh, Morgan Barron, you mentioned Liber Hayjack um, and Julian Gauthier, as well as uh, Zach Jones is another one to talk about as well. So, uh, they have a lot of prospects that are uh, worth it, and they're a pretty young team at that already. So um, the, the Rangers are going to be good for quite some time, I think, uh, just because they have probably a, a very deep prospect pool. Mm -hmm. All right, uh, let's go to Ottawa here. Um, they, uh, this is Steve's team, so um, this is exciting for him for sure. I, I have know. waited a long time for this moment. <laughs> it's funny because for the Bruins, you di you didn't have to wait long because no, it was, it was right off the hop. It was right off the hop. Yeah. So I I never got that uh, anticipation for waiting to talk about my my prospects, but um, yeah. So we're gonna talk about the Ottawa Senators here. Uh, the first uh, so but first we're gonna talk about their cap friendly page and their cap situation. Um, in general, they have a lot of free agents uh, coming up this year, which is a good thing um, because that means they have a lot of cap space. Uh, so they have Michael Boddicker, Matthew Pekka, Scott Seaborn, Ron Hainsey, and Craig Anderson all as UFAs. Oh, I guess Ryan Callahan, Clark MacArthur, and Mark Barrowecki. I, I never know. Barrowcop. Um, we'll Borvietsky. Borvietsky, of course, I messed that up. <laughs> I butchered that pronunciation. It should be mentioned <laughs> that Callahan and Gabrick are probably never playing again, and yeah. they're just carrying their contracts. But, 
So when they're done, yeah, they're they're not coming back. Uh, but but uh, point being is is that they're both UFAs anyway. So yeah, they are. So so his cap is uh their cap space is about to get very uh big pretty soon. Uh, there's also as for RFAs, you have Anthony Duclair, who had a pretty good season, although inconsistent. Um, Chris Tierney, Connor Brown, Jace Hollerek, uh, Rudolph Balsers, Nicholas Paul, uh, Inglis. I don't even know any of these guys. Andreas England mm-hmm. um, are also RFAs. So that's about like 10 guys, I said. <laughs> and they're all... Um, they're all pretty different. Uh, but that's a good thing for a rebuilding team, especially when you have Brady Kachuk and Thomas Shabbat uh, still on contract for at least a couple, uh, at least a year for Brady Kachuk. Uh, so um, maybe we'll see Brady Kachuk have an extended contract maybe this year because they can work that yeah. out. Yeah. But- I would like them to be proactive like they were with Shabbat and just get it over with before the next season yeah. starts. I would love to see them extend Connor Brown, uh, yeah. Anthony Duclair, maybe give him another year or two. Uh, definitely keep Mark Borbieski. Chris Tierney, we'll see. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, there are going to be there are going to be some faces uh, in the next year or two that probably won't be back as much as I love Craig Anderson and what he's done with the team. The amount of goaltending depth that they have and the amount of young goalies that are going to have to play. Um, honestly, if I give a 30% chance he's back next year, even though I want him to be, I just yeah. don't see the majority falling in his favor. Yep. Yeah. Um, also, not to mention that uh, um, the, the Senators have a pretty good shot of getting Lafreniere, Byfield, um, mm-hmm. or Stoltzel, um, because they not only have their own pick, and they were the second worst team in the league this year, but also because they have the Sharks pick, who are, like, I believe the fifth worst team in the league. So, um, yeah, and I, I imagine this draft lottery is going to condense some teams a bit, too, so they have an even better shot at getting the that first round pick uh just or that first overall pick just because they have more options like that so um so yeah they have a good chance of even getting both Lafreniere and Byfield I don't want to get you stirring Steve but um I'd be jealous if that actually were to happen um anyways we're gonna start off with Drake Batherson um he uh he did pretty well last two years for Belleville. Um, this year wasn't as good, but still decent, <laughs> more than a point per game. Uh, so this year at Belleville, he had 54 points in 44 games. Uh, 16 of those were goals. Um, and then he played a bit for Ottawa Senators, uh, 10 points in uh, 23 games. So uh, that's that's pretty good. Um even still, considering all that stuff, uh, then lot, the year before that, he uh, he played for B- the Belleville Senators again, uh, sixty-two points in fifty-nine games. I believe he won uh, the AHL Best Player 
of the league or something like that. So 62 he points. Was, he was a member of the all-rookie team. He didn't win, like, top rookie. I don't think he – he was top three or top five in rookie scoring, but he wasn't right. the highest scoring rookie. But he was named to the all-rookie team. I do know that. Yeah. So Drake Batherson, um so, yeah, he – and then he, when he went to the – play for the Senators that year in 20 games he had nine points um three of those were goals so yeah this he looks like he's I mean for the next couple of times uh the thing with the Senators is that they don't have um because they're kind of a tire fire up front uh no offense Steve but um I think you would say the same thing uh, other than Thomas Shabbat and Brady Kachuk and I guess Anthony DeClaire to some extent, uh, pretty much every other roster spot is up for the taking for them. So uh, um, Drake Batherson has a legitimate shot at being a top-line center and being one of the better players, especially um, if the Senators do get Lafreniere because he'll have a playing mate there. Um, so yeah, I could see that happening. And what is your take on Drake Batherson? Well, I absolutely love the upside that he provides and uh, similar to Mark Stone, um, a mid to late round pick that has turned out to be a very good investment for them. He was a fourth round pick in 2017, 121st overall by the Ottawa Senators, uh, currently 22 years old. Um, while he did represent Canada at a couple of tournaments, he uh, was born in Fort Wayne, Indiana, USA. So, uh, guess he could have been an American, but, uh, fortunately for us Canadians, um, mm. he's representing Canada a few times. Um, his first QMJHL season, cause I feel like I'm obligated to talk about his QMJHL career. He was just as impressive. Yep. He had 22 goals and 98 shots in his first full season. So that's a shooting percentage over 22%, which is insane. Um, in terms of face-offs, not exactly the best face-off guy. It, it took a little bit uh, for him to get used to taking face-offs. He won just 45.6% of the draws he took um, in 2016-17, but it was still pretty respectable. And 58 points in 61 games, that was good enough to get drafted in the fourth round. Uh, then you go to 2017-18, his second season with the uh, – uh, his second full season the QMJHL, his um, third with the Cape Breton Screaming Eagles. He had uh, 17 goals and 39 points in 24 games, a shooting percentage almost at 20. Averaging 3.58 shots per game, he had 16 power play points. Taking face-offs, he got better at those as well. Uh, then he gets traded midseason to the Blaiville Bois Brian Armada, where he adds another 12 goals and 38 points in 27 games. Shooting percentage there is 15 sh shots per game, just below 3 at 2.96. Still doing a better job at winning face-offs, he finishes with 12 power play goals, uh, 30 power play points. Overall, 77 points, 29 goals in 51 games. His shooting percentage is 17.5. His shots per game average overall is 3.3. Um, and won just over 50% of his draws. 
So when you take all of that into consideration, you are looking at a guy who finished 13th in league scoring in his second full season. Um, you are looking at a guy who um, in his second full season won 54.2% of his draws. And then you look at the 2018 playoffs where he leads the playoffs in scoring with 33 points. He gets 13 goals in 22 games. His shooting percentage is 16.9%. And even the postseason before, his shooting percentage was 26.9%, which is even crazier. So it seems in the playoffs, he would elevate his game and he would take it to a new level. And uh, it was more of the same in the World Juniors with uh, Team Canada. I believe he had, um, I think he had seven goals in seven games at uh, the World Juniors the one year that he played. And he was a part of um, a gold medal winning effort, if I'm not mistaken. Just trying to find that stat. Brett, if you can correct me on that. But yeah, I'm, I'll pretty look sure I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm correct there. He had a big World Juniors one year for Team Canada. Um, but then you take a look at his time with the Belleville Senators. He was a part of that three-headed monster with him, Josh Norris, and Alex Formanton, all that we talked about in this edition. Uh, but before that, he had another efficient 22-goal campaign. Um, he had a 16.5 shooting percentage in his first year. He had six of his 22 goals with the extra man. You do bring up a good point brad his point totals were a little bit down but also consider he played in 15 fewer games so his shots per game went up to 3.04 his shooting percentage went down but at the same time he played in 15 fewer games um he could have easily surpassed 60 points this year maybe even gotten closer to 70 and uh, he was one of the league's uh, best scorers this year. Um, Batherson is sixth in overall scoring. Um, his uh, points per game average has, has gone up, as I mentioned. And with at least 38 helpers this year, uh, Batherson was fourth in the American Hockey League in assists as well. Um, oh, yeah, just to correct, yeah, seven games he played, uh, seven goals, seven goals uh, yeah. at the 2018 World Juniors. I was correct, and he did win a gold medal. Yep. Also was named a top three player on uh, Team Canada. Um, the other interesting part, um, before I get to um, where his impact lies um, at the NHL level, what's also interesting is when he was traded to the Blainville Boisbriand Armada, he was an assistant captain with uh, Cape Breton. He kept that role when he was traded to the Armada. To get a leadership role almost right away with your new team obviously says a lot about you as a player and how much people trust you. Right. Because there are times where a captain gets traded, like Max Pacioretty, captain of the Canadians, gets traded to Vegas. Vegas hasn't named their captain. They didn't name him captain when he got traded there. You look at a guy like Mark Stone, I think he's an assistant captain there with Vegas now, but um, they didn't give the captaincy to him. And there have been other cases where someone in a leadership role with an organization goes to a new team and they don't get a leadership role right away. Instantaneously, they still allow him to keep the A on his jersey even after he gets traded. So that definitely says a lot about 
not just how good of an offensive player he is, not just about his offensive efficiency, but just as a person, as a leader, it definitely says a lot. Um, in his NHL experience, um, you might look at nine points in 20 games and say, okay, that's respectable. He developed some good chemistry with Matt Duchesne before he left for Columbus. Right. And this year wasn't really playing with elite talent like Matt Duchesne. However, he was playing with some of his line mates in Belleville and Brady Kachuk, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, so you saw more of Colin White and Brady Kachuk in the second half um, this year. Um, so when you're playing with guys like Brady Kachuk that have a nose for the net, that can create offense, you're going to get more chances to score on the power play, which Drake did. He had uh, six points on the power play, uh, 10 points on the year this year in 23 games. Um, his shooting percentage has gone down this year, but his number of shots per game has gone up. And he's also been contributing in other ways. Um, I believe um, he has uh, 51 hits over those uh, 23 games this year. Or at least he's on pace for 51 hits as well this year. So um when you look at what he also provides not just with his offense the fact he can chip in and do the other basic things that the coach wants you to do and chip in on the two-way side of things um is definitely reassuring um for a guy like drake batherson i'm not so sure if his future is at center though i'm almost curious if they just keep him at right wing um, I guess it all depends on what happens at the draft, Brad, because you never know. They could draft a future number one in the center. Right. Depending on how things go. Maybe Marco Rossi is here. Maybe Marco Rossi, and they also have Josh Norris, too. Yeah, Josh Norris, who we're about to talk about soon. Yeah. Um, all right. Actually, we're going to talk. Oh, well, I, <laughs> I had on this list. Um, Josh Norris is the next guy, but then I, <laughs> I, I had Eric Brandstrom because I thought we were going to talk about him first. So we're going to switch it up. We'll talk about Josh Norris after Brandstrom because I have Brandstrom's stats pulled up right now. Um, so Brandstrom uh, was the guy that was uh, involved in the trade for Mark Stone from Vegas. Yep. Um, so he was also one of the Vegas's top draft picks other than Cody Glass and Nick Suzuki. But, um, yeah, he was were... also, he was also described as Eric Carlson 2.0. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of a bit of how he plays. Uh, the thing though, uh, so he played, I guess I can take you to, uh, what he played for on HB seven one which was the SA, the Swedish Hockey League team that he was on, uh, yeah. where he had 15 points in 44 games. Um, and he uh, and then in the playoffs, he had one point in two games. Again, the SHL is uh, it's a professional hockey league, so it doesn't look as impressive, but considering that he was 18 years old at the time, um, it, it is, it's even more impressive. Um, yeah. And then he goes to the HL. He goes to the Chicago Wolves and the Belleville Senators. Um, so he only played nine games for the Belleville and 41 games for Chicago. Um, but I believe, so that means that in 50 games, he had 32 points. Um, ding, ding. There we go. I, this is like, 
This is the most math I've had to do since I left high school, so... Um, <laughs> it's definitely fun. It's definitely fun for me here. Um, anyways, so that that's pretty good. 52 points in 50 games. Um, or, sorry, 30, 32 points in 50 games. Uh, that's, that's decent for an AHL defenseman. Um, and then he plays a couple games um, in Ottawa, doesn't score at all, which is fine. Um, because, you know, he's a, he's a 19-year-old at that point. Um, he did have 18 minutes of ice time in those two games, so, mm-hmm. so that, that's something. Uh, this year, he plays a bit more for Ottawa, um, but he spends some time in Belleville as well, where he has 23 points in 27 games. Uh, he has 20 assists and three goals um, and in Belleville, but then when he goes up to Ottawa... Uh, is not doing as well. Uh, he has four assists in 31 games. Uh, keep in mind, though, he had 40, 14 minutes of ice time at that point. Um, also, it's not like he's playing with Thomas Shabbat because they're both left-handed defensemen, uh, which is which takes me to my next point. Because Thomas Shabbat, who is their best defenseman at the time, at this time, um, and you have Eric Brandstrom as well, uh, they they can't really. Um, uh, you know, have a dynamic at all, which is fine because then you have, like, you know, <laughs> a good parallel would be uh, Brent Burns and Eric Carlson out in uh, San Jose, where you just have to get, like, a Mark Edward Vlasic or a, yep. um, I don't know who's the other defenseman uh, for the Sharks, but, <laughs> um, you know, you have, a, like, a, a player that's more defenseman, defensive uh, for Brandstrom to play with, um, which could be an interesting move or something that they kind of need um, on top of a lot of things. So uh, that will be an uh, interesting uh, thing for them in the offseason for years to come. But having said all that, like it seems like, or from what I've been reading, it's obviously I don't. it's hard to really tell how good a player is defensively speaking, but... Um, it seems like Brandstrom is a good all-around player, um, so maybe they don't necessarily need him to be the offensive defenseman like Eric Carlson was. Um, instead, just make him, you know, make him more balanced, which it, which could be better in the long run. Yeah. So the interesting thing about Eric Brandstrom, I believe he is a right-handed shot. And uh, the only pure right-handed shots that Ottawa has on their current roster is... Let me take a look at their list. Oh, yeah, I believe it's only Ron Hainsey and Nikita Zaitsev. So um, they could put Shabbat on the same pairing or they could uh, put uh, Shabbat on the same side and uh, they could have a Carlson-Burns option after Carlson and Burns are probably past their prime. So... Uh, the Sens look pretty good in that regard. Uh, they do have a lot of defensive depth in terms of prospects. There are so many defensemen we could talk about, but we only had time uh, for Brandstrom. But I will mention those uh, later in a bit. Like you said, a very young puck-moving defenseman. His skating is excellent. His offensive instincts and hockey sense are off the charts. His defensive game is good, which is very good news. Ottawa needs defense, after all. Um... 
and again, five foot nine at, at his age, he's probably going to get a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger. Um, he's got a good shot. He can control the power play and he wants to control the power play, which is good. Um, so it's, it definitely sounds like an Eric Carlson type of player. Um, and I still don't like the fact that Ottawa traded Mark Stone. It hurts a bit less that they were able to get this guy in return. Uh, internationally, not just in the SHL, Brett, but um, this guy was very good at playing in tournaments as well. Um, he played for the U-17 Swedish team in 2015-16. He had three goals in six games, one bronze there. That same year played for the U-18 squad, had a goal and three assists in seven games. They won silver. Uh, the Holinka Gretzky, it, also in 2015-16, he had four assists in five games. Swedes won bronze in that tournament. And in the 2017-18 World Juniors, he had a goal and three assists in seven games. Uh, Sweden won silver there. This year, or not this year, uh, last year's 2019 World Juniors, he had four goals in five games. No battle to show for it there, but he was one of Sweden's promising defensemen in that tournament. Um so I really love what he brought there. Um, in the AHL, um, one thing I will mention about those numbers is those numbers mostly happened in the most recent, like, second half of the season, maybe starting in the late stages of the first half, too. Because one thing that happened to Ottawa at the beginning of the year is their defense was rammed, absolutely riddled with injuries. Uh, to the point where... Um, Brandstrom probably should have started the year in the AHL, but because they had so many injuries, they really didn't have much of a choice but just to keep him up there and see how he would respond. And when they got the chance to just get somebody, even if it was like a minor trade, to just like plug a hole and just like fill a spot for the rest of the year so that Brandstrom could be sent down to continue to own his craft in the AHL. Um, they just had to roll with the punches until that happened. And then um, they were they were able to get some help. They got a bit healthier. Then Brandstrom was sent down, and then he got 23 points in 27 games. So he did very, very well there. Um, and uh, previous to that, he had 32 points in 50 games, as you said. Um, you take a look at his NHL numbers, uh, all things considered. Um, 15 hits and 36 block shots so far. So over an 82-game slate, that would be 40 hits and 92 blocks. So he's doing the other little things, which is good. Um, his first two NHL games, his pairings were CeCe, Harper, and DeMello. Yikes. And then it was a mix of DeMello, Shabbat, Hainsey, and Borbieski this year. Even though their defense is slightly better, Ottawa is still one of the worst defensive teams in the league. There's no hiding it. They're not that great at keeping the puck out of the net. That is going to have to change in many respects. Um... When I take a look at the prospect pool, that's where it gets very interesting because you have Christian Wolanin, uh, former University of North Dakota uh, legend. Um, I think probably would have played most of the season with the big club if he gets away with an early season injury, which of course he didn't. He spent a few months recovering from that. Um, at last check, Wolanin was on the third pairing with Andreas Englund. Uh, you also have Jacob Bernard Docker and Jonathan Tchonik, who are yeah. both unsigned, but they have potential. There's also Lassie Thompson and Ole Alsing, 
Max Lajoie, Christian Yaros, and a KHL newcomer named Artem Zub that was pretty much coveted by every single team and ended up choosing the Senators. So with that much defensive depth, Brandstrom still has the upside that gives him an edge for now. But he's going to have to earn his minutes like everyone else. And I definitely think he can do that. I definitely think he has what it takes. Um, It's just a matter of execution at the highest level and um, getting those power play minutes. Yeah. Uh, It was funny when you mentioned, like, Jacob Bernard Docker um, and uh, Lassie Thompson, because I was thinking of mentioning either one of them for mm-hmm. our, our prospects, but I think Brandstrom has the most potential to be more than, than that. But both of those guys... I think, I think for the sense, that's a good thing. When, yeah. when you have so many good players and you can only pick a top five and you have a lot of notable guys getting left right. off, that speaks volumes to how good your future can possibly be if you play your cards right. right. A lot like the Rangers were, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, so the next guy is Josh Norris, um, and he he had a he he was actually the leading scorer on the Belleville Senators um, mm-hmm. with sixty one points in fifty six games. Uh, he wasn't the leading scorer in the AHL, uh, but he was he was in fourth in that in that race. Uh, he played in three games for the Ottawa Senators, uh, didn't score at all, which is fine because uh, they're the Ottawa Senators, but. Um, he also, uh, he went to the world juniors where he had six points in seven games the year, uh, last year. Um, and he played for the university of Michigan where he had 19 points in 17 games. Um, I believe he had a shoulder surgery at the end of the world, that world juniors where he actually played pretty well. So that's why a mid season injury cut his season short. I do remember that. So that's why he only played 17 games in his uh, sophomore year at Michigan, but that's still, um, like, even before all that stuff, he was playing pretty well, if those Mm -hmm. point totals are any indication. Uh, The year before that, weren't as good, but still decent. Uh, His freshman year, he had 23 points in 37 games. Um, And then in the World Juniors, uh, for Team USA, he had three assists in seven games. So, uh, yeah, he's pretty good. The thing with uh, the Senators, though, is, as, as you've mentioned before, it's like uh, their center depth isn't that strong. I mean, you do have Colin White, uh, who could be decent, but I don't think he's a top-line center in any stretch. Um, and you also have uh, Artem Anisimov, who's going to be a UFA in two years, or the next, the year after this one, I should say. Yeah, in 2021, I doubt he's coming back after that. Right, so uh, the room is very open for Joshua Norris to be a top-line center for yep. the Senators because he uh, they, they don't have too many else currently right now uh, to compete with. But, uh, yeah, and, oh, and also I forgot to mention that he was a uh, trade... He was traded from that Eric Carlson pick, um, which is paying dividends even today. So, uh, yeah, it looks like he's going to be pretty good as well. But, um, yeah, we'll have to see how it goes with him. 
Yeah, that trade was still painful, but I got to admit, it hurts a little less after looking at his numbers yeah. this year. Also, very good plays with Brady Kachuk, which, um, I did not which know definitely that. helps on him. That makes yeah, sense yeah. since they're both American players. Yeah, but uh, yeah, he's, he's pretty good friends uh, with Brady. Um, yeah, so this guy is described as someone who demonstrates good patience with the puck. Um, he selects his shots and his passing lanes well. Mostly a pass-first style, but... His quick release and accurate shot allows him to find the back of the net more often than not, and he showed that this year. But first, uh, we'll take a look at his stats uh, with Michigan. Just get back to those 42 points in 54 total games. So in terms of a points per game that average, that's uh, 0.78. He had 10 goals in 17 games in that injury-shortened season. Um, and only three of those 18 goals that he scored in Michigan were power play markers. So there was still a bit of potential. Uh, before his stint began there, he spent two years with the U.S. National Development Program. Um, he played with the U-17s uh, in 2015-16. He had 14 goals and 27 points in 44 games. 2016-17 uh, rolls around, plays with the U-18s, where he gets 27 goals and 61 points in 61 games. Averaged a point per game against USHL competition as well. And then uh, San Jose takes him 19th overall in uh, the NHL draft that year in 2017. Eventually, he gets traded to Ottawa for you-know-who, Eric Carlson. Um, you mentioned uh, the World uh, Juniors. He, he had a decent showing um, in his first go-around, but uh, then he had six points in seven games his second time. And he's also served um, as an assistant captain with the Americans at various tournaments, the U18s in 2017. He was an assistant at the 2019 World Juniors. He was also an assistant there. Um, so he has a bit of international accolades to his name as well. Then we get to the fun stuff, his rookie AHL season, where he is already a top 10 scorer. So as I'm sure you're aware, Brett, Jack Stadnika, Bruins prospect, is third in AHL rookie scoring this year. Josh Norris leads all rookies, while teammate Alex Formanton is second. Uh, Josh Norris is also yep. first in the rookie goal scoring race and third in the overall goal scoring race with 31 goals in 56 games. Uh, mm -hmm. Obviously, leads the Belleville Senators in scoring and is also tied for third in the AHL in points this year. Um, meantime, 160 shots. Where does he rank there? 15th most in the AHL, and look at that, more than any other rookie playing in the league. Wow. Um, also one of 12 players to score at least 10 goals with the extra man, putting him, you guessed it, in a tie for rookies. Just an absolute boss. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the three NHL games play with the Senators. Um, he did get nine shots, so that's an average of three shots per game. Pretty good. Won 30, uh, 30 face-offs over those three games and 61.2% of his draws. So if he keeps up that kind of percentage, he'll definitely make a strong case to be a number one senator someday. Um, his time on ice was also significant. It was uh, 17.55 per game over those three games. He averaged 2.48 with the power play per game. And if you care about plus minus, he was a plus two in those three games. And the reason I say the plus minus is you don't see too many pluses on the Sens stat sheet this year. Yeah. There were a lot of minuses on that team. 
and his frequent line mates, Drake Batherson, who he plays with a lot in Belleville, and his good buddy, Brady Kachuk. So the fact that he's getting key minutes, the fact he's getting key minutes on even strength, on power play, that he's playing with top six talent already, the fact that he's a top 10 scorer in the AHL, I'm interested to see what his encore year is going to bring and how soon he can make an impact in the big leagues. Yeah, and I imagine because the the Senators don't have a ton of centers, and as you mentioned, he's good friends with Brady Kachuk already. Um, I would imagine we'll see him in the league tomorrow uh, next season with Brady Kachuk probably on his line. Now that being said, they do have some interesting prospects. There is Philip Schlappick and Logan Brown who had good junior years that had some serious hype in the past, but now they're. They're starting to fall down the depth chart a little bit, although they're still getting their yeah. chances to make their impact. You also have Shane Pinto having a solid season yep. um, at the college level. He had a good World Juniors this past year as well. Uh, Mark Kostelik might be an option as well. Um, he signed his entry level many weeks ago with Ottawa. But even still, um, it, at this rate, Josh Norris is already miles ahead of him. Well, yeah, and I, I guess the closest one is probably Shane Pinto, but it seems like he's gonna—he's a couple years away anyway. Yeah, so. for sure. Um, Alex Formanton we have here um, is the next guy. Uh, so a lot like uh, Batherson and Joshua Norris, he was in—he uh, was uh, already here. Hold on, he's seventh in the AHL in points. Um, so that's pretty good. He had 53 points in 67 games, or 61 games, sorry. Um, and then uh, the year before that, he's most notable for London Knights. So I imagine Steve is very aware of this player because he's a big OHL person. But um, uh, anyways, London Knights, uh, he had 34 points in 31 games. Um, and then he went to Ottawa for nine games that year in the 2018-2019 season. I guess I would imagine this was around the time when uh, Duchesne, Carlson, and Stone were all off the team, so they um, they just got, um, they just brought in a lot of prospects to fill their lineup. Um, but uh, yeah, he had one goal in those nine games. Uh, he didn't play at all this year in Ottawa, but that's okay. Um, I imagine we'll see him again sometime. The other thing to mention, though, with Alex Formington is, is he's a left winger, um, and since the Ottawa Senators' best player, Brady Kachuk, is also a left winger, it will be a, it, he does have some competition on the left side. However, that's not a big deal because he can just be on the second line, um, and that's you know you can have a lot of playing time in that regard. Um, but it might take some time for him to get a true center for him to play with. Uh, but I think that's, that's fine or something that though I'm sure they're already thinking ahead of before. So, um, I imagine we'll see him again, um, because he did do well in Belleville, but we'll see him this upcoming season after this. So, uh, yeah. What, what do you have on Formington? Yeah, so um, I, on top of watching him a fair amount in the OHL, 
Um, he also attended the the Sens, the start of Sens training camp a couple of years ago. It was Sens Fan Fest 2018. It was open to the public. Uh, yeah, players signing autographs. That was when uh, Brady Kachuk was just entering the fold, and Mark Stone and Matt Duchesne were still there. But it was a week after the Eric Carlson trade had happened. So it was it was still kind of a you weren't sure what um, what the fan base was going to be like uh, entering that event and how optimistic they were going to be about the future. But there was a long lineup for Brady Kachuk. And one of the guys that actually caught my attention wasn't Brady Kachuk. It was this guy, Alex Formanton. And I was watching him in a lot of the drills. He was one of the fastest players on the ice um his speed was just tremendous for a guy six foot 265 pounds he could fly and uh in some of the scrimmages he had a lot of prime scoring chances as well so he was really involved in the offense a lot of the time definitely caught my interest and i was thinking okay i'm gonna keep my eye on this guy a little bit and the one thing that you probably won't get to see on the stat sheet is how much of a shot generator he is and how good he is at converting on some of his chances. Uh, for example, as a rookie, he played in 65 games, uh, which ended up being the most games he's ever played in an OHL season. He had 16 goals and 34 points there, 138 shots on goal. So that's an average of 2.12 per game, 11.5 uh, shooting percentage, pretty respectable for a rookie, like I said. Especially on a team like London, you know they ha usually have a lot of talents to work with, and they're very good at sharing the wealth. So a 34-point season for a rookie on a London Knights team, typically that's a sign of positive things to come. So then we go to 2017-18. He gets 48 points in 48 games. In those 48 games, he scores 29 goals on 175 shots. So his shooting percentage jumps 5 percentage points to 16.5. His average shots per game goes from 2.12 to 3.64 in a season. Very, very good. Uh, and then you get to 2018-19, where, much like Josh Norris, an injury kind of slows him down. But in the 31 games he played that year, he had 13 goals and 34 points, which is an average of 4.32 shots per game. Pretty impressive for his regular season stats. Then you take a look at his playoffs where he really caught my attention. In 2018, he had five goals, two assists for seven points in four games, just four games. He put 21 shots on goal in those four games, meaning his shooting percentage was 23.8 and his average shots per game was 5.25. So considering it was only a four game series, he did a lot of damage there. 2019, trend continues, plays in 11 games, Racks up four goals, 14 assists for a total of 18 points. His shooting percentage, not nearly as good, but he still averages 4.45 shots per game on a London team that doesn't make it past the second round. Uh, that leads us to this year in the AHL, where his shooting percentage is once again very, very good. 17.1 this year, averaging 2.59 shots per game. Seven power play goals, 27 goals on the year, and 53 points in 61 games. As you might imagine, a top 10 rookie in several of those aforementioned categories, 
Um, he was also a part of that World Junior gold medal winning Canadian squad with Drake Batherson. Uh, he had two goals and two assists for four points in seven games. Wasn't a top three performer, but definitely showed uh, a lot of upside there. Um, in terms of his NHL appearances, he went pointless in his NHL debut last season, but he didn't even play five minutes in that game. So what 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 could you do in that period of time anyway? Uh, he had nine games this year, got his first NHL goal. He had 16 shots, 11 hits, and seven blocks over those nine games. Average TOI was better, but it was still only 11-10 per game, and he averaged six seconds on special teams. So not nearly getting the offensive exposure as he would on the power play. Now, you do mention Brady Kachuk, Brett, as a very lockdown option as the top left winger on the Sens. But you also have Anthony Duclair, who had his moments this year. Um, inconsistent, albeit, yes, but he did have his moments. Nonetheless, he did better than I think a lot of people expected. You also have Vitaly Abramov, who is a pretty decent prospect. You have Rudolf Balsers, who has put up good numbers in the AHL for a couple of years now. And you also have Jonathan Gruden, who has a bit of upside to him as well. But I think ultimately his speed is his biggest weapon if he can skate as fast as he possibly can every single play and he plays like that that is how you get involved in the offense is by moving your feet and you're constantly a threat with your speed there are guys on the other team that are going to take notice of where you are on the ice if for a split second they lose sight of you and all of a sudden you got a clear-cut breakaway on on their goalie so um, I think if he continues to use his speed, Formington's going to make a big impact someday. Yeah, I, I guess you're right. It's it's not like they have a bunch of forward spots to uh, make known, and maybe they can transition him to the right winger. I feel like that's not as hard um, as transitioning him if you were a defenseman to transition mm-hmm. him to the other hand. But um, I don't know. Maybe Maybe it is. I don't know. Um, but yeah, you're right. Uh, so the last guy we're going to talk about here on the system is Marcus Hogberg, uh, mm-hmm. just because we haven't really addressed the goalie situation as much as we usually do. Um, and uh, as we've mentioned before, Craig Anderson is a UFA. Marcus Hogberg was, uh, is now the backup for the Senators here. Um, having said that, he had he wasn't like he he did have a sub uh, two a sub three uh, GAA. He had a three point twelve GAA and uh, in twenty four games, but he also had a save percentage of nine oh four, which on this Ottawa Senators team isn't yep. that bad. Uh, I mean, obviously you want to have a GAA that's lower than three. But still, it's it's not that bad considering um, how bad the Ottawa Senators team is on the on the forefront or ahead of him. So so that's pretty good. Um, and then I was looking at the list of all the like Ottawa Senators that uh, players prospects that in terms of goalies that the Senators have, and um, Kevin Mendeleev might be okay. Uh, he was in Cape Breton for a bit, but um, like Philip Gustafson, who was supposed to be this like 
the goalie of the future hasn't been as good as we expected him to be. Um, I guess Mad Sogard um, as well, but he hasn't. He's he's been okay too. But it seems like Hogberg uh, will be this goalie for quite some time in in the recent future, and he could manage okay, uh, relatively speaking. I mean, they do also have Anders Nielsen, who's a bit of a wild card every every game, but uh, they could have more of a consistent guy in, in Marcus Hogberg. Um, and I guess I should also mention what he's done in the past. Uh, in Belleville, the year before that, uh, in Belleville, he had uh, 39 games. He had a 2.32 uh, save percentage and a 9.17. Sorry, save percentage of 9.17, a GAA of 2.32 in 39 games. Um, and then when he went to the Ottawa Senators um, in four games, he had a 4.08. GAA and a save percentage of 894. Um, he also, the year before that, he was playing for Belleville where he had a 3.27 GAA and a save percentage of 899 in 18 games. Uh, he also played some time games in ECHL uh, where he was decent. He had a save percentage of 9, um, 915 in 16 games in, 20, in the 2017-18 season. Um, but a 310 GAA. So, um, I don't know, this, just reading his stats out loud and just seeing them on this page right here, it, it seems like he could be, he's, he's going to be an okay goalie if all, if all goes his way, but that is something that they kind of need, um, in the future. It's a, a, a good goalie, and I imagine the Senators are probably going to be looking for goalies this time around in the draft. Uh, maybe later on or something like that. I know they did get Mad Sogard, um, which is another one, but um, who had like a 908 save percentage in the WHL uh, for the Medicine Hat Tigers um, mm -hmm. and a 2.353 GAA in 37 games. So that would probably be um, Hogberg's biggest competition um, in the future, but. Uh, yeah, for now, it seems like Hogberg has that in place for the time being. The one other thing I will mention when it comes to Hogberg and Sogard, they're very tall. Yeah. Hogberg is 6'5", weighs 209 pounds. Sogard is 6'7", 6'8". So um, they're, they're definitely going for size. They're maybe trying to find the next Ben Bishop, I guess. Um, well, they they missed on him. They, they, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. they they had him. Right. They they had him for a bit, and then they traded him away. But uh, yeah, I'd rather not tell that even <laughs> yes. even though I brought it up in the first place. Can, but anyway, can remind me that the Bruins had Tyler Sagan and Dougie Hamilton <laughs> for a time. So and it still won a cup in the system. It's it it's I still would rather have so Tyler good. Sagan and Dougie Hamilton yeah. at this moment. But yes, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, in Europe, he also did pretty well um, in two straight Super Elite campaigns. His GA was around 2.4 to 2.45, save percentage above 915 in both of those years. Uh, that led to Hogberg getting drafted by the Sens in round three of the 2013 draft. Um, a few years later, back-to-back -back SHL campaigns, Posted GA around 230 and a save percentage of 910 or better. Um, 
around that time, he starts to get into the um, North American style before he does that in 2016-17. He has a 1.89 GAA and a 9.32 save percentage in his final SHL campaign. Um, the transition has not been an easy one for North America, but you also have to consider what Hogberg was playing in front of this entire time. Um, in his three losses in three games in 2016-17 with the then Binghamton Senators, because by that point, Belleville uh, was without an OHL team, without a team, period, and then... Um, the Sens decided to move their headquarters in the AHL from Binghamton to Belleville. Um, so he started his AHL career in Binghamton, faced 32 shots per game per uh, per game um, over those three games. So explains the very high GAA, the very low save percentage. Uh, 2017-18, he's averaging 28.5 shots per game that year. Um, further explaining his six uh, six twelve and zero record in eighteen games. The GA was still better, but still not what it needs to be. Uh, and then we get to last year, where the numbers are better. He's still facing over twenty seven shots per game, but he posts a twenty one eleven and six record. Um, is starting to emerge as a pretty good goalie in the AHL, which is which is very very good. But he's also been a pretty streaky goalie. Even if you look at last year's stats, he started off with two straight wins, then he lost four in a row, then he won three of four, then he lost two straight in overtime, then he won nine of 11, then he lost two, et cetera, et cetera. And then he wrapped up the regular season with five losses in nine games, which unfortunately just barely kept the Binghamton, uh, kept the Belleville centers out of the playoffs. But a part of the reason why they even came close was a huge run he went on from mid-January to early March, where he went 11-0-4 and surrendered two goals or less in nine of those 14 games. So again, Hogberg displaying that he is a good goalie when he's on his game. Um, when he's off his game, it's it's a bit tricky to predict what, what, um, what trend he's going to be following, but... Um, for the most part, it was a positive uh, step forward last year. Uh, even you look at this year in the 15 games that he played, he dropped his first three games, then he won his first, then he dropped another two. So in five of his first six games this year in the AHL, um, he came up short. And then he won six of seven games, going 6-1-0 and in that stretch uh, from early November to early December, and in four of those seven games, he surrendered two or less. So, once again, a very streaky goaltender and very good when he's on his game. Now we look at his NHL numbers, where, again, a 904 save percentage on Ottawa is very good. Um, also look at his record. It's 5-8-8 eight, and eight this year, which means in 13 of his 21 starts, the Sens got at least a point. So in the majority of his starts, the Sens got at least a point, all while he averages 30.3 shots coming his way every game and no shutouts. So in that sense, Hogberg's numbers might not be the best, but it's not like he's going to be a bust. There is definitely potential there. And hopefully once the Sens as a team get better defensively, we'll start to see more of that. In the eight games, for example, where he faced at least 35 shots, his record this year is 2-2-4. Two, two, and four. 
in games where he's faced at least one in games where he's faced at least 40 shots he's 1-0-2 on the year this year so I definitely think there is upside with Hogberg um, he will definitely get the chance to prove himself uh, the second half of his two-year deal is a one-way which means if he were to get sent down to Belleville next year he has to clear waivers first whereas this year it's still a two-way, and they can send him to the minors without fear of losing him. So they obviously feel that he is going to be part of the equation next year. Whether it's as a starter or as a backup, he will be a part of the big club, and he will get several chances to prove himself at the highest level. Um, you mentioned Matt Sogard as a competition for Hogberg. There is another guy that you didn't mention, Brett, that could be. And that is Joey Decord, who, while Hogberg has been up at the NHL level, he has been playing in the AHL level. And not only are the Senators winning with him in the net, he's put up better numbers than Philip Gustafson. Yeah. So I think it's going to be between Sogard and Decord if it's not Marcus Hogberg. And the fact that they have a bunch of young goalies is a very good problem for the Sens to have. The problem the Sens have is picking the right one because they had that option with Leonard Anderson and Bishop and they struck out on that. So um, they need to make this, they need to make this chance count, but at least they do have multiple options. Um, Not just Philip Gustafson, not just Marcus Hogberg. They have other names too that could adequately fill this future goaltender void. Um, But I do hope for Hogberg's sake, it's him because um, I definitely think we haven't seen the best of them. Forgot about uh, that the Senators also had Leonard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, Fun times. Uh, <laughs> sorry to remind you. Um, it's okay. You can just, I mean, the Bruins have had the worst luck in trades. So, or have made the two worst trades in recent history. With I'm Jumbo just hoping the Sens have options. At least they have <laughs> yeah. more than one option to go with. It's better yeah. than having no options at all. True. And it, it is interesting that, because like, I think if we were to do this a couple of years ago, Philip Gustafson would have yeah. been the top prospect we would talk about. He would have. Um, and he kind of has fallen off the face of the earth, um, which is interesting. So I, it just goes to show you that you never really know with goalies. Um, yeah, you really don't. Except for, I think we know that Shesterkin and Sorokin are going to be pretty good for quite quite a while in the mm-hmm. NHL. Um, also, you've mentioned these guys before, but I figured since I did the same for the Rangers, there are some honorable mentions. Uh, Lassie Thompson, Jacob Bernard-Docker, uh, Shane Pinto, Mad Sogard, and uh, Vitaly Abramov were other guys I was considering. But since I, this was the first time since we've been doing this that since this is your team I decided to give you the reins and have you pick the five guys um, although I did pick the five guys initially but you you wanted uh, Hogberg in there so mm-hmm. I applaud. Yeah, and, and I think it's very very good um, for the Senators future to see Belleville doing so well even though they're not going to make the playoffs because of this pandemic thing of a jig that's messing everything up um even still they are going to finish the regular season the the belleville senators will with three top 10 scorers in the league yep that's very very good 
And two of those, by the way, are one and two in rookie scoring on top of that. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm sure you, you still want, like, Eric Carlson and Mark Stone and yeah. Duchesne and, uh, and even Mike Hoffman still on your team. But um, I, th- I think there is a bright future and there is something to that where – and especially with this draft coming up, you guys are going to get two, two – at least two t- uh, picks in the top ten. Mm-hmm. Um, at the very least, so yeah. um, in a very deep draft at that too. So I think it's signs are looking up for for the yeah. Suns here. The 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 issue the Suns are going to run into in previous years is developing these guys properly, figuring which ones are the best suited to be in that contender stretch where you're expected to win. Yeah. And then on top of that, here's the big one: keeping them. Right which they didn't do with Mark Stone and Matt Duchesne or what they were unable to do with Mark Stone and Matt Duchesne and which they chose not to do with Eric Carlson. It's going to be in five to six years when these guys are all due to get paid. How many can the Sens keep? How many are they able to keep? Even you can say the same for a lot of rebuilding teams too, but yeah, but especially Especially for Ottawa because it's well documented. They've had trouble doing it. And, uh, I mean, they already have a good start with Thomas Shabbat, who they signed last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so they'll probably do the same for Brady Kachuk. It makes sense to do it th- yeah. now. They're, but... they're, de- they're, they're definitely in a better place now than where they were 12 to 18 yeah. months ago. That's I will sure. say, though, if I were Brady Kachuk, I don't know if I would sign this summer. But I would yeah. wait till next summer. Uh, yeah, so he if, if he likes ticket. Ottawa that much, I don't see why he wouldn't. But yeah. mon- for monetary reasons, yeah, he's prob- probably better to wait. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, that about does it for us. Um, it's another long episode, but it's fine because this is the special episodes that we've been doing. So, um, mm-hmm. And it's not like you guys have anything else to do. So <laughs> a lot of content here. Um yeah, you can reach us. At our Twitter is Lace, um, Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. Uh, you're probably listening to this on SoundCloud. We are also on iTunes and Spotify, so subscribe to there or follow us there. Um, yeah, that's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 219 of the Lace Them Up Podcast. <laughs>